Hi, everybody. Uh, we just want to take a moment to uh, say that we we would like to dedicate this episode to Ariana Del Bar. She is one of our Patreon patrons and a longtime supporter of the podcast. And she passed away recently. Uh, she passed away on June 27th. And Ariana was an incredible um, part of our family. She was, was so generous with her spirit, her time, her energy. She was really generous to others and always um, positive. We had no idea of some, sometimes of the struggles she was going through, her health struggles. And uh, losing her is a real blow to our Delta Flyer family. So we wanted to dedicate this episode to her. Yes, most definitely. Ariana has, you know, um, she's just been one of those people who have, who has touched my life and and really been a, a an integral part of our our Patreon patrons. And you know, she went to Scotland, and I made sure she she was able to contact some of our other Scottish Patreon patrons there before she went on that trip. And she recently took a trip to New Zealand. So I, I thought everything was you know copacetic and everything was great, but I've, clearly it wasn't. And um, what a sad, sad, sad day it is for us to have to announce this. So. Um, rest in peace, Ariana Del Bar. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Delta Flyers with Tom and Harry. As we journey through episodes of Star Trek Voyager, your two hosts along this incredible journey are my fellow Voyager actor, Garrett Wong, who in 1994, played Raymond Hahn on All-American Girl. Yes. And myself, your favorite helmsman, Robert Duncan McNeil, Robbie D, RDM, McDunkstein. Uh, you remember, you can get the full version of this entire podcast, all the bonus material, lots of extra fun goodies, if you sign up to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers. So, have, so Raymond wait, no. Hahn. Oh, oh, wait, okay. Before we go to Raymond Hahn, yes, yes, let's yes. just talk about this. Who has called you McDunkstein? Is there actually someone in your life that refers no. you as McDunkstein? Okay, no, but people do that. Yeah, they make up. They make up because I have a really long name. You do, my but professional I, name, and people are always like making up. McDunk, I've gotten that a lot. I don't know. I think RDM, McNeil, is, McNeil Rob, is really easy to say. And Robbie, Robbie is really easy to say. Pick one of the two. You know who says Robbie D all the time? Do you who? know? No. Ethan Phillips. He has called me oh. Robbie D. And I call him Johnny P. What does he call his... me? Gary W. I don't know. <laughs> no. What does no. he call you? I call him Neely. Because I actually call him by his... Yeah, uh -huh. I, I like an affectionate term for Neelix. So yeah. Neely. I see Neely and he calls me any Kimmy. E-N-N-Y-K-I-M-M-Y. <laughs> He's like, any Kimmy, how's it going? So, and that's how he'll refer to me on texts too. Like if he... He's texting me directly oh. about yeah. So it's like we still have that Voyager connection. Ethan, like we'll have a whole thing. He was like he was like, "Any Kimmy, come in, please." And then I'll text back like, you know, "Hey, can you help us uh, ch uh, change out a relay or something?" Like I'll I'll talk as if we're ca our characters basically right, as a joke, right. right? So he's very funny. He's got nicknames so for everybody. Funny. And Ethan will right. also 
Robbie I've mentioned D. this before. Mm. He calls me Robbie D, but he like will text that. me randomly because yeah. I had a fan club. I've mentioned this before, yeah. but I'm going to say it again. I had a fan <laughs> club called Random Flight during the show yeah. that, that, that I wanted to end when the show yes. was over because I thought mm. that's, you know, now the show's off the air. Nice way to finish it. But anyway, Random Flight was the Tom Paris fan club. And Ethan got so obsessed <sighs> with being a member of Random Flight. He had all the things the club had. He had the T-shirts, he had the buttons, he had a hat. And whenever I would see him at conventions, he knew I was going to be there. He would wear those items. He would wear the Random Flight button. He would wear the hat or the T-shirt. Mm. So now he texts me with news about the club that he mm. makes up this international <laughs> club and he's got to fly to like, you know, Madagascar because there's an emergency at the ra random flight club in Madagascar. Oh, he's so funny. But, and, and then he always, it's the same joke. He's always like, and both the members were supposed to be there, but nobody showed up. So I was there by myself <laughs> and uh, yeah. He's anyway. a hoot and a holler. He really is. He, is. he really funny is. Man. We love him. Okay. Speaking of a hoot and a holler, all American girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Raymond, Tell me about that. What was that. Yeah. And also you saw me do it again. Look, look how easy that yes. is. Delta the hand sign. Liars. This is gonna literally be our greeting to, to each other when we see Delta Flyer Patreon patron. Yes. We're Delta yes. Liar. Or anyone who listens to the podcast. Anyone who listens. Yes. Patreon, Patreon yes. or not. Doesn't matter. You're a member of the Delta. And our cheerlead Flyers. squad, our spirit squad is going to oh man, you know, incorporate that into all kinds of Delta Flyers podcasts. Delta Flyers Spirit Squad. Right? right? We need it. We, we need yeah. it. Men and women, we have to have absolutely both. Yeah. or, or all, Everybody's all welcome. genders. Any gender. Everybody's welcome. Right? But it's all Ishi about the spirit. They. Yes, the spirit of it all. Um yes. Raymond Hahn, that's that's basically uh that's the guest star role on the uh -huh. first episode of All American Girl. Oh wow! I had, yes, I was cast in the pilot episode as a co-star role as handsome Korean man number three. Oh, that's we right. talked about that that's before. Right now, when they had, when they went ahead and got the full, when they got the order for the first season, yeah. they then said, "Okay, it's time to to produce, and you know we've got to film the first episode." And so they called me and said, "Would you like to be?" They gave me. I didn't have to audition for. It. They said, "Would you like to be the guest star in the first episode?" I said, "Well, what are you going to do about my co handsome Korean man number three co-star role in the pilot?" That you, I'm the same person. People are going to say like that. You can't, you can't have that. That's, that's not even the same. That, that's the same guy, but he's playing two different characters. And yeah. he said, no problem. We're going to recast handsome Korean man number three. Oh, and so funny. I called up my buddy, uh, Tim, Tim Lunabos and he, uh, and Oh, Tim Lunabos was on uh, an episode of TNG. Actually, he guest started. Oh, cool. Yeah. My friend, Tim. So I called my friend Tim up. Who's half, half Korean, half, uh, Caucasian. And I said, Hey, uh, there's a role that um, I vacated basically, or because I have to do another role for the same show. But um, I'm going to recommend that they call up your agent. So they did, and he got the role. So he did. Oh, that's so I great. Helped, yeah. So I helped my friend out. So that was pretty cool. So they recast my role from the pilot, and then I did this role of Dr. Raymond Hahn. And what was so cool about this, I I played an anesthesiologist that was um, basically Margaret Cho's boyfriend. Right. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. he's the perfect Korean boyfriend. He's a doctor. He's this, the mom, the parents approve, but because he's so perfect, 
Margaret tries to make herself the perfect Korean American girl, and that's just not her. She's more of a maverick, yeah. and she can't fit into that mold. And she has to break up with me at the end of the episode. But it was me in every scene, practically. And wow. it was and what was so cool was when I was pre-med, my decision back in 19 in the 80s was that I was going to go to med school and then I was going to specialize as an anesthesiologist. So this role was written exactly oh, wow. of what I was going to do in real life. And I invited my mother and father, who you know, you've met on yeah. numerous occasions. I invited them down to the taping of yeah. this sitcom. Because they have so an they, audience. And yeah, yes, they, they had an sit- audience. And it was at Disney. It was a Disney show. And so we were at Disney, um, their lot. And my parents were there. And oh, my gosh. It was, was it Disney? No, it was Warner Brothers. Was it Warner Brothers? Oh, my God. My memory is like fading right now. I think it was Warner Brothers. Yes. So regardless, my parents are there. They're watching. And before we even start the first scene they've got there's hair and makeup just kind of fritz you know fussing with me on set and yeah. i'm looking up at that and i see them right there and i just and i say out loud very loudly so the back of the state back of the house could hear i said look mom dad i'm a doctor finally <laughs> i know it's on tv but i am a doctor like that. so you know the the hopes and prides of asian parents all around were were yeah. um, somewhat satisfied it's not the yeah, real deal but yeah yeah, yeah. so that that's was cute very funny i'm yeah. sure they were proud yeah. on lots of levels yeah you were playing yeah. a doctor and mm-hmm. you know and this is the a show. big show that was a yes. big deal that show it, back then. it was a huge deal and also while we were in rehearsal because typically for sitcoms, you rehearse Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you tape on Friday to yeah. a couple of different audiences, right? Yeah. So um, on Wednesday was the day that I I got the page from my agent, and uh, this was the this was the call that I went to Clyde Kosatsu, who plays the father uh, on All American Girl, and I asked, "Can I use your phone in your trailer?" Because I didn't have, um, I don't think we even had. Do we cell even have phones? cell phones then? No, yeah, we didn't. Rare-ish. No, they were they were big bricks at that point. Yeah, yeah, so, they still were bricks. Yeah, so I said, "Can I borrow your your phone in your trailer?" He's like, "Yeah, I guess it's my agent. I think it's I think he's gonna tell me what happened with Star Trek." And so he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, of course." So I called up, and that's when my agent Jim Hess told me that I booked Voyager. So that, oh, this wow. was the role that I was doing. Yeah, during wow. um, Wednesday or Thursday of our rehearsals that I found out what a week. Voyager. Yeah. What yeah. a week. And then wow. I had to rush after, after, yeah, he said, as soon as you're done with rehearsal, haul your ass over the hill to Paramount to go to wardrobe. You have to go to a fitting immediately. And that's when I rushed in and um, into the blue lot and almost killed Harrison Ford. That story that I told you <laughs> yeah. in the beginning. So it all started from working all on American, American Girl. Girl. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. tight into Star Trek. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. So, you know, and this was huge because at the time there were no sitcoms revolving around an Asian character, you know, yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah. It just wasn't happening. And Margaret Cho really, she cut her teeth in the stand-up comedy world. That's where she made her waves. And so she was a yeah. stand-up comic who yeah. then got a deal to do her own TV show. And unfortunately, it only lasted one season. It's kind of sad. Her her um, her mother was played by Jody Long. Her uh, brother was played by, um, oh, God. B.D. Wong, B.D. Wong. I almost forgot B.D. Oh, Wong's wow. name. Yeah. So it was a hefty cast. Clyde Kosatsu yeah. was the father. I think Clyde Kosatsu was the SAG president or something like that at one point. Oh, Didn't wow. Didn't he do something like that? Sounds right. You, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. So Clyde's been in a ton of things. So great, great cast. And the, and the fact that I was in the first episode as her boyfriend was was it's a big deal. Big because it gave me a lot of, I don't know. A lot of confidence. Confidence. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. 
All right. Well, let's talk about author, author. We're going to watch that today. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. It's nearing the end of our series. I can't believe it. We're wow. I, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. On We're this. moving along. This is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Let's go watch author, author. And mm-hmm. for all our Patreon patrons, stick around for all of that exciting bonus material. And we will see you in a minute. Okay, uh, Robbie and I are back from watching Author, Author, and guess what? We have a very special guest. We talked about calling Bob Picardo to come in for this recap and discussion, and guess what? Robert Picardo is here! Congratulations oh for being on our podcast. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you. I And I point out that I am both author and author in Author, Author. You are! Yes. <laughs> you, you are. You're, you're both title characters. Mm-hmm. You really are. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Um, all right, do you guys? We have to talk about how this episode came to be, but I won't. I'll wait yeah. till you ask me. All right, sure. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, so right in the beginning, Bob, we start off. Robbie and I start off with our poetry synopsis. So we synopsize yes. this episode ourselves. I will do the haiku. Yes, we do. Which, if you recall, Bob, it's five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables, and then Robbie will come up with a limerick afterwards. So I will. This, yes. Here is my haiku for author. Author. Doc tries out writing published without permission voy et's phone home <laughs> do you catch that last one so it's boys and voyager and then i said et's apostrophe so we are the extraterrestrials in the delta quadrant so therefore yes, the voy et's phone home that's what i got there nice. you go all right robbie all right here's the limerick. limerick here's the limerick mm. for author author yeah it was a little something like this The Doc writes the hollow novel, Photons Be Free, with the story, some of our crew disagree. The Doc tries a rewrite and gets into a legal fight. The subject of holographic rights is certainly quite weighty. Weighty. That's really bad. That goes beyond bad. I know. I know. That you've achieved a level of bad. Personal has far too many syllables per line. The rhymes are tortured. It's about the worst limerick I've ever heard. Oh, do you know? What do you know about limericks, Bob? Yeah. What I've, is I've your... spent my life yes. writing. I, most of my limericks are dirty uh, from when I was 12, 13, 14 they years should old. Be. And I and they cannot and they cannot be said on. I ha, I can do another poem I wrote at the same age, which I wrote for the uh, the uh, middle school um, magazine that got in the magazine. Ah. It's not technically a lyric. It has this, a slightly, it's a tiny bit longer. It's called, um, uh, I don't remember what the title and is. This is your I, middle I school in now. Pennsylvania, correct? This is, yeah. a, this is a, a Penn Charter School. The one that's uh, depicted, if you've ever seen the Goldbergs or their spinoff yes. series, yeah. uh, Schooled, that yeah. is my school. Because oh. Adam Goldberg went to my school and then wrote, made two TV series about my school. Wow. Um, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I did not know that. The Goldbergs mm-hmm. is based on your school that you actually went to. It so is. let's, yeah. And when I guest starred on Schooled, the spinoff series, it was because he was dramatizing, or he was he was uh, recalling a moment yeah. when he was 14 years old and I came back to visit their school when Voyager was on the air. And, oh my God. Uh, and, and they made the whole episode about, oh, uh, you know, Penn Chart, William Penn graduate Robert Picardo, who's on Star Trek now, is coming back to talk to the acting students. That so is I came awesome. back and played myself uh, talking to his class. Oh, but anyway, funny. here's the limerick. All right. This Let's is, hear the uh, limerick. I want to hear it. This yeah. was, uh, I think I was yeah, 13 when I read this. Here we go. Okay. Um, on the day he was meant to be married, Marvin the Earthworm 
looked harried. He had promised LaRue he would always be true and had told Kathleen he would make her his queen. In short, he knew not what to do, but his problem was solved by one quite uninvolved, for the gardener then chopped him in two. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Wow, that mm-hmm. really wow. is a, that's an extended limerick there. It's a yes, beautiful, it's a, whole, it's a whole story. It's a sad story. Yeah. It's a sad yeah, story, it but it's not sad. that sad because now he goes ahead and he marries two different women, which is, you know, a subject yeah. of, of fantasies for certain kinds of earthworms. And Worms, others, yes. You know? Yes. Uh, thank, you. thank you for that yours. middle school. Yes, far better than mine. Thank you for mm-hmm. the middle, middle school poetry a little art to class up this podcast. Thank you, Bob. Thank You're you. Um, let's talk about the teleplay. Yes. So author, author is a teleplay is by Phyllis Strong. Mike Sussman wrote the teleplay. Beautifully written. And Brannon Braga came up with this story. So this was a story by Brannon, who right. was not really heavy on our show in season seven. He was right off no. developing you enterprise. How the story happened to come about. How did it? Um, yes. Our, how did it happen? Uh, you guys have already discussed the episode um, "Flesh and Blood," the two-parter, correct? Right with the yes, with the have, uh, yep. renegade holograms. Mm-hmm. Okay, a good good friend of mine, uh, Jeff Yeager, was cast as the guest star and the head yes. of the of of those uh, rogue holograms. The Bajoran. Were, who, he was Bajoran. Mm-hmm. Right. He was a Bajoran hologram, and he was right. trying to, and he was a big fighter, freedom fighter for yes. hologram rights. Yes. Okay. So when Jeff guest stars on the show, and he, I, I, I was surprised and delighted to hear that my old friend was going to guest star on the show. And he said, tell me a little bit about um, holograms on Star Trek, what they can and can't do. And I was telling him this and that, and we don't have to eat, and you can turn it, turn us on and off, and we can handle real objects somehow, um, and all these things. And he says, wow, you should write a book about this and I, I went ding there's an idea and meanwhile jeff had just gotten engaged to an actress friend of mine from china beach megan gallagher mm-hmm. so i he said you write you write a book and i'll do the art for it and i said great and i'll split the money with you and it went toward paying for their wedding so wow. i wrote a book called the holograms handbook and jeff did the cartoons oh, yes. and the holograms handbook is basically it's 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 a how to book if you if you are the smartest guy in the room and you work with all these inferior organic people it's basically how to get along with people that are stupider than you that's the that's the ongoing the, the common gag. premise of the whole thing the right. premise exactly and it turned out uh, pretty funny and uh, anyway so i told brandon braga i made the mistake of telling brandon braga that i was <laughs> writing a book for simon and schuster called the holograms handbook and of course he went ding and completely ripped me off in a very good way and, yes. and, and pitched the idea of the doctor because he, he was so amused with the idea of the doctor writing a book because i told him i was writing the book in character in character the doctor, as the doctor yeah, yeah the holograms handbook by the emergency medical hologram of the federation starship voyager so, so he took my idea and frankly made much more money than i ever did from the book um <laughs> ripping me off and making uh making a story idea out of it so uh, kudos to him I, and, uh, rem- I remember I, when you yeah. wrote that book. I remember that. Yeah, you put a lot of time and energy into writing that book. I didn't know Jeff was connected to it, but that's Jeff did, amazing. Jeff did the cartoon. That- Jeff is an amazing artist in many, many areas, primarily a sculptor more than a cartoonist, but he mm. can do anything. And uh, and it was a lot of fun. And as I said, uh, with half the guarantee on the book, it helped pay for his wedding. So I'm, it was. A, it's a sweet memory. Um, uh, aside from this, you know, uh, this carping about Brandon uh, taking the idea and turning it into an episode, uh, it yeah. was a very sweet memory. Uh, and I believe Flesh and Blood was season six, right? 
or was it early season seven? I don't even remember. I, I, I think can't. it was. I'm, it's either, if it's not six, it's definitely early seven. That's for sure. Yeah. But I, so he had heard yeah. about it and came up with the idea when they were still pitching stories for uh, season seven. And mm. I think I think that author author we shot author author before my book ever came out. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, so I have a question. So Simon and Schuster, they were the publishers actually for right. your book. They had, Is that they right? Had, yeah, they had the um they owned or they had the uh the whatever it is, the the Star Trek franchise agreement. That's they and they they had different levels of books. There were the the sort of cheap, they were called sell-through paperbacks that are on cheaper cheaper paper and all mm -hmm. that that looks like recycled paper. Mm -hmm. But we got the high-endy, more expensive kind of white paper, yeah. um, which costs much more to produce. And therefore, yeah. we never we never made a penny beyond our oh. guarantee. Because oh. your paper stock was so expensive. Because <laughs> our paper stock was so expensive. Oh, my so gosh. They kind of warned us that it was better to go with the cheap version. But I like that we made a yeah. very handsome volume. And that your listeners right now, you can't even find a copy of the Hologram Sandbook because it's <laughs> really? out of print so long and they're so highly prized oh, wow. that I challenge you to find one on the internet for less than $50, all right? Well, that's kind of like the the holodeck novel that you wrote in this episode. It's mm -hmm. you can't find it. Yes. I, you know, spoiler, <laughs> spoilers with the plot, but it's uh, it was there briefly yeah. and it's gone. It was there now. briefly so and just... then taken off the market. Exactly. <laughs> well, yes. Robbie, we were we were wrong because we both guessed that Brian Fuller was the writer behind this one, this episode. So we I were know. incorrect in that guess. It felt like a Brian yeah, Fuller. Yeah. Do you remember? To me. Do you remember your director guess? Because I'll, re I'll uh, refresh your memory. Oh, for that was this a David Livingston? You are correct. This was That's David. right. It is yeah, David. Yes. Although, well, first, yeah, Robbie it's always Dr good to guess. Yes. And the guess <laughs> it's always was good perfect. To guess, David the guess was perfect. He, he did so many. He did. Um, he did actually 28 episodes of Voyager, believe it or mm -hmm. not. And this was his very wow. final Voyager episode that he directed. Robbie guessed it. Guessed was it, it really? Robbie guessed. Yes, it was. Robbie guessed Mike Vehar. For this one and i guessed anson williams i was like let me go with the dark house uh, dark horse anson pick, williams so. would have been great anson only directed i think one show and that was real life i think that's the only is one that the only one i thought he did i think two. he directed two i no, think in no, our no. in our podcast we've discovered he directed two uh, yeah but okay. not many you're well, the one that was right. uh real life obviously featured my character so i remember that very well perhaps when he directed again i didn't have anything to do in it so i yeah. don't i don't recall yeah um david livingston and i got along great i mean david is a sweet sweet lovable man he is perhaps you know he's a little indecisive sometimes right mm -hmm. we all we, we all remember you know doing a yes. take for david he would go great great that was great that was great let's do it again great yeah. great that was great let's do it again great it's like, should we do anything different no 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 no, no just do it no. again yeah <laughs> and that would happen 14 15 16 times uh -huh. however many times mm -hmm. he needed guest stars our guest stars in this episode richard hurd as admiral oh, paris yes what a wonderful man oh wonderful my man. goodness Sorry. great guy and and i i saw him in the intervening years uh, over the over the years uh, after we went off the air, mm. I would see Richard all the time at conventions. Sweet man. Yeah. His wife was an actress who I'd worked with in a play years ago. Mm. Here's some here's some really odd Voyager trivia. Um, our beloved Ethan Phillips wrote a play. And when they did a reading of this particular play, um, uh, I played the, the title character and I and I acted with Richard Hurd's wife. Oh my so there's, a little, there's, a, there's a, like a six degrees of separation. Boy yeah. Story. 
Uh, Richard, wonderful man, and we lost him only just not so many years ago. Last maybe yeah, few, few years, years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think by twenty twenty, very very mm-hmm. recently. Yeah, and Do also you, of course mm. uh, uh, Barry Gordon. Yeah, Barry I'll, Gordon I'll, go, I'll for, go to Barry in a second, Bob. But I want to say okay. before we go to that, um, do you know Richard Hurd's very first credit, Bob? Wow. I don't. This is insane. But Richard Hurd's very first credit, very first one, is the 1970 movie Hercules in New York, which starred an Arnold Schwarzenegger who debuted his acting career in this movie, in this 1970 film. Oh, my film. gosh. Wow. And that was Richard Hurd's very first credit. Wow. And that, that was before uh, Schwarzenegger did Stay Hungry with uh, Jeff Bridges. Yes. Wow. Yes. This is his very first. This is at his acting debut. So Hercules wow. in New York. Hercules in New York. Mm-hmm. And who did Richard Hurd play in relative to Hercules in New York? Richard was Hercules and Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> was his... Played New York. Yeah, no. played New York. <laughs> yeah. there you go. But we, we, we also have uh, Barry Gordon is another guest star uh, who played Arden Brocht. Uh, his very first credit, I'm going to tell you this, and then, Bob, you can talk about your- uh, I know his first credit. I oh, know do you? Okay, credit, go, go. What is a it? Thousand, a Thousand Clowns. He was the kid in A Thousand Clowns with Jason Robards. Is that right? Is that what you've I, no, got? I have the nineteen a nineteen fifty six episode of the Danny Thomas show. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that may have been his first credit as an actor. I beg your pardon. Yeah, but his starring role as a child, oh, was in a thousand clowns. A thousand clowns. Yes, okay. with he Jason was, Robards, and it was, he was just, the kid. He's the kid. I, I don't. I think he did it oh, both man. on Broadway and in the feature film, which they shot when he was still young enough to do it. It mm. was the second. I mean, it's a, the 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 yeah. It's the kid is the second. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's young Barry Gordon. It's a great movie. Wow. Highly recommended. Wow. That's wow. awesome. Mm. Um, we also have Joseph Campanella, who mm-hmm. unfortunately passed away May 16th, 2018. So we lost him fairly recently. He played the Federation arbitrator. If you remember, yes, he was the guy I that do. was in the yeah. yes. Um, and a, one of those faces that you've seen over and over again, oh, for yeah. sure. Very first credit, 1952. An episode of a TV series named Suspense. Suspense mm. in the 50s. Mm. Yeah, I bet he that. played, with a name like Campanelle, he probably had to play a lot of sort of mafia dons, too, in the uh, in the 50s, you know, probably well, yeah. gangsters. It's funny, know. but it, looking at his career, most of his stuff has been doctors. Uh, has oh, yeah, been, I can yeah, see a doctor. Lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, but not mobsters of all of all. Really? Things. Strange, I'm yeah. Glad, glad to hear that. Yeah, he had that. Beautiful head of silver hair. Oh my I, gosh! Yes. Those, just yes. those gorgeous locks that he had. A lot of authority. Mm-hmm. Definitely mm-hmm. had a lot of authority. Big mm-hmm. time. We also have Lorraine Vozoff, the actress that played Irene Hansen, which is Annika Hansen's auntie. Mm-hmm. Her very, very first episode was very first credit is a 1975 episode of Kojak, the uh, series with Telly Savalas as the. Uh, a lot of people got their start uh, with on Telly Kojak. Savalas. That was my first SAG job was Kojak. Seriously? Was it really? 1975. Really? A two-part episode called Kojak's Days. And and it was also, I shot it in December of 1976. Oh, uh, my I think God, most of uh, Most of Kojak was shot in, um, in California, but Telly moved the show to New York for at least two seasons. And that was my he, very first he moved it? job. Telly he, made he them move well, the show? Wow. He made them move the show. He wanted to shoot in New York to have a more authentic look instead of faking LA for New York, which always right. looks stupid. 
Right. And uh, and wow. I shot it in Little Italy. I walked to work because I lived on Sullivan and Prince Street. Oh, and my I had God. to shoot. I, I, I shot about eight blocks from my house. I played an angry kid who was getting himself mixed up with bad people. And my dad, played by the wonderful actor Sully Boyer, who's in Dog Day Afternoon playing yes. the the, uh, the bank of the, you know, he's the manager of the bank who has a heart mm -hmm. attack when, mm -hmm. when they take him hostage. Yeah. Uh, Sully Boyer plays an owner of a restaurant. And my dad uh, owns the uh, my dad, played by Sully Boyer, realizes his son is getting mixed up with bad people. So he tries to get Kojak to straighten me out. And I played, you know, a bad kid who had to yell at Kojak a lot. So that was my first. <laughs> that was your job. first job, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I remember during when I was yelling in rehearsal at Telly, I got a little tiny glob of spit flew out of my mouth and landed on his bald head. Oh, no. I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what the hell to do. I didn't know. Do I pretend I didn't do that? Or do I apologize? Do I let it air dry? Do I buff it out? What do, do I, I do? Buff so, it out. You know. <laughs> so anyway, it just dried. And and uh, and he slapped me on the shoulder after rehearsal and went, good, kid. Uh, so that was it. So apparently wow. I did a good, good job. That was so my big, I had to, I had to yell at him. I had this whole I hear monologue where I oh tell him. Oh my off. God. Yeah. Oh, the very funny. Okay. Moving on. Um, our, we also have uh, Juan Garcia who played John Torres, a mm -hmm. 1989 feature film. The banker was Juan Garcia's very first mm -hmm. credit. We also have the venerable Asian American actor, Robert Ito. My goodness. Who plays my mm -hmm. father, John Kim. Uh, 1965 episode of I Spy was Robert Ito's very wow. first role, but we all know him from uh, he did 146 episodes, I think, of of uh, Quincy Med M.E. Medical Examiner, which is mm -hmm. unbelievable um, to have an Asian American as a series regular back in the 70s is a is a big deal, I think. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, Irene Tsu, who plays my mom. Uh, who plays Mary Kim, a 1963 feature film, Take Her, She's Mine, is the name of the movie that she was in. Irene <laughs> Sue also went on to become my real estate agent, and uh, I purchased my first house through Irene. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, that yeah. is a, that is a, that beats my six degrees of That's separation <laughs> story. <laughs> uh, Dwight Schultz, uh, Barclay, 1981 TV movie, Thin Ice. We have also a couple of co-stars, Brock Burnett. Uh, male ND, 1992 episode of the TV series Welcome Freshman. We also have Jennifer Hammond, a female ND, a 1991 episode of Super Force. We also have Heather Young, a sick bay uh, ND. This might have been the one that you were making out with, possibly, uh, or the mm -hmm. one that came in afterwards. The the next one coming in one for of another those exam. Girls. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. 1994 episode of Soldier of Fortune Inc. was the first uh -huh. credit for Heather Young. There you go. That's our co-stars and that's our, our cast. Mm -hmm. We got them all. Big, big all. cast. Um, let's dive right into this. The first thing we see is the mm. doctor in the holodeck. Uh, it's kind of empty in there and he's inviting everyone into this story he's written. Right. And he's wearing the smoking jacket, kind of, you know, Noel Coward-esque. Uh, I, I said a smoking jacket that would make Hugh Hefner proud. You went Noel Coward-esque. Yes. I went Hugh Hefner on that one. Okay. Yes. Uh, great. Great kind of opening. You don't know what we're watching. And he's looking right at the camera, which mm -hmm. is always, there was a number of times in this episode where we break the fourth wall. We looked right, you know, Bob, you looked right into the lens. Kate looked right into the lens because we're in this hollow novel. Um, and then there was, there's a moment where uh, we hear the EMH stop the, the hologram or the holodeck program. And then the real doctor walks in and I didn't know, Bob, do you remember how you did this? Was it motion control? Was there 
Do you remember the Viz effects? Because um, it was really elegantly done. I don't. I don't. Um, I, I don't remember whether it was motion. It, it had to have been motion control because I do overlap I myself so. behind. Well, it's yeah. not a split screen. It's not a digital split, was it? I mean, in other words, no. for the sake of the audience, if you walk behind the other, then you have to shoot the foreground character first in front of a green screen, and then you shoot playing the other version, as long as you're going to yeah. overlap behind it. Otherwise, it has to be like the Patty Duke show. It has to be a split screen, and you never... Yeah. You never impose on the other side of the screen. So it must have been. We did quite a bit of motion control photography in the episode that I got, the, that I shared story credit on called um, Lifeline. And I think we'd already uh -huh. done that. So we had worked, the technology had been worked quite a bit that season, or that may have even been the end of the sixth season. So I, I'm quite sure that it must have been motion control. And that same yeah. day, of course, they shot. Um, they 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 did it with you too, Robbie. Did you? Yeah. you played two versions of yourself too. So they must have shot all the motion can control stuff in the same day, so they didn't have to rent all that expensive equipment more than one day. Yeah, um, I love. Yeah, the, don't forget the optical. It begins first of all. It kind of it kind of parallels the the book of Genesis. Instead, you know, in the beginning, in the beginning, right, oh, there right. was darkness. Yeah, and and in this, and, and then a, and then in, in our version, uh, there's the flash of a single photon. Or something, mm -hmm. but the right. way they the way they kind of digitally create my three dimensional dimensional image was, I thought, not only a great optical, but really quite advanced for you know for the it late nineties, you know, mm. um, uh, and uh, and that really stands up. I thought I was I was pleasantly surprised when I rewatched the show in advance of today's talk mm -hmm. uh, that that opening optical I just thought was great. Yeah, and and also it is fun. Because whenever we did a um, a cold open that really was arresting and, and looked very different from our other shows, yeah. um, then I think that really does capture the audience's uh, attention. I agree with you with the direct address to the camera. Yeah, I thought it was great. The optical, the way it was sort of built up, almost like Legos stacking or you mm -hmm. know the energy fields, and and it was all one shot. David did a great job with the scene. It mm -hmm. was all. I think motion control, I agree with you. And it was, mm -hmm. we sort of wrapped around that buildup of the, of the holographic doctor in the smoking jacket, then pulled you to the, to the table. Right. And then One the side. second you walked behind. So it was a very complicated shot, but elegantly done really beautifully. Done. I, I agree. It was a, it was a great opening. Sadly, that smoking jacket, which they ended up giving me, I talked wardrobe into letting me oh. keep that jacket. Oh well, my because gosh. Because uh, when I did the the series I did before um, Voyager, China Beach, we we did an episode. Uh, it was a military drama. We were set in Vietnam at this in-country R&R base. And even though my character was a doctor, I was pressed into one episode. I'm pressed into playing Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady. So mm -hmm. they made a smoking jacket for me. So I explained to the Voyager. I said, hey, the last series, they let me have my smoking jacket. So they gave me the smoking jacket. Sadly, wow. I still fit in the one from China Beach. And the one from Voyager, I got too chubby. Because it was super tight. It was wow. very, very tight. It looked very so, tailored, yes. Yes, very oh, tailored. Bob, so Bob uh, Blackman to, loved to to you know trim things up as mm -hmm. skin tight. I remember yes. that. And that's the only piece of wardrobe. I think that was it, other than a pair of boots. That's the only wardrobe I ever got, the smoking jacket. I never got a uniform or anything. A uniform or anything? Like that. Yeah. Mm. But uh, but I, I still have that smoking jacket somewhere. Yes. I don't know where. Well, Bob, if you would sweet talk the wardrobe department like Robbie, you'd have one of your uniforms. 
So well, I, I know, don't. but yeah, sweet Robbie is, you know, I mean, he might but, write a really crappy limerick, but he he's, his sweet talk is very poetic. His, char- his charm is mm-hmm. is in abundance. It's not, it's not poetry. It's another yes, another. Yes, it, it's pro. It's prose or prose, yeah, prose. we might say, yes. but it but yes. uh, but still charming to the to the to the to the weaker mind. Mm. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the more low so it, We have an exterior we, space shot with Voyager at impulse, and we have a captain's log, stardate 54732.3. It's been three weeks since we've received Starfleet's instructions in the last data stream, and we're finally ready to begin Operation Watson. We're all holding our breath. We then cut into astrometrics, where Seven and Harry are hard at work. Janeway and Chakotay arrive. And Harry detects a phased tachyon beam with a triaxolating signal encoded in it. We see that Barkley and Admiral Paris kind of appear on the view screen. Janeway congratulates mm-hmm. Barkley on establishing the first transgalactic comm link. Barkley says that he can't take all the credit. That it was actually Harry and Seven that suggested bouncing this tachyon beam off of a quantum singularity. Now, Paris, Admiral Paris, informs us that the singularity only stays in alignment for 11 minutes a day. So comm time is very limited. And Barclay has a gift for us, a live image from McKinley Station of planet Earth. So really nice opening scene here, you know, uh, with yeah. the gang. And and it's really important that this is our first live conversation. We've had yes. these messages we've yes. shot back and forth. Yes. But this is a live connection. That's oh, yeah. great. And if you remember this, the episode Message in a Bottle, which yes. also um, guest starred Dwight, the wonderful Dwight Schultz. It it basically established this first thing that that was one of the first ones where we could send messages to the mm-hmm. Alpha, and that's how we emailed the doctor's program. Effectively, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. was along this same you know the same transmission route that Barclay was developing. So right. I think it's great that they took that thread. Our show, as we all know, had discrete episodes. We tended not to do very long story arcs, but they did keep that thread of how to of this developing yeah. technology to send a message and ultimately to have a live voice uh, and actually a voice and picture, you know, like a Skype call. Mm-hmm, this yeah. is the first one where, where we had Skype calls uh, with the uh, Alpha Quadrant. Yes. I wondered I wondered in this scene when they showed Earth, I, at first I was very like, oh, it's so emotional. You see Janeway in a close-up here. But then I thought, well, does Tuvok or Seven or any, like, does everyone get... Is it as meaningful to them? Because he's yeah. from Vulcan. He's not from Earth. Like, that's not going right. to mean... It's only going to mean something to the humans that... So, Janeway and home. Harry in this in this scene, right? In that yes, scene, except, yeah, in seven. Except that, isn't it possible that Tuvok, as a young cadet, studied at Starfleet Academy in, oh, in yes. San Francisco? Oh, yes, that's true. Definitely. So, in other that's words, I, I, I think that... but. But really, that very same theme you're dealing with applied to Seven, virtually, because she sort of had... Yeah. You know, her parents were assimilated. And then that sweet moment where she realizes where she talks to an, an aunt that she barely remembers. Uh, and that was a, yeah. that had a nice emotional payoff, too. I know we're I, yeah. I don't mean to give away the future. Of the yeah, show. Spoilers, spoilers, Bob. Spoilers. <laughs> OK, so we're now in mess hall and uh-huh. Neelix comes in. He's got his he's got his hat upside down and he has one hundred and forty six sequentially numbered isolinear chips. Now, before I go on, Robbie. We have different yes. numbers of how many crew are on this ship. Like we, different episodes say different numbers oh, yeah. because another episode we were listening, we had 130 something. And now in this episode, we got 146 crew members. So it kind of, we have somehow. There's a couple of things, changing Bob, numbers. I don't know here. if you recall this, but the number of people on our ship changed constantly whenever it came up. 
And the thing that bugs me is in the very first episode, we were told that we only had like six photon torpedoes left. And we had to really be careful not to use torpedoes. And then we proceed to use photon torpedoes almost every episode for the rest of the series. Yeah. Well, see, Robbie, here's what you didn't know. You were able to take yes. Thank you for clearing this an up, organic crew member and turn them into a photon torpedo. That's why That's if you had it, if you, those 12 extra crew members we used to have were all turned into photon torpedoes. It's just gotcha. a theory, but thank I, you. I thank you. If, if you explore <laughs> thank this, you I, think for, I love fine. that theory. I think it's a great theory. All right, getting back to the scene in Mess Hall, everyone, everyone is talking about who they will be calling. Harry draws number 130, Tom draws six, the doc draws number one. Harry tries to trade with the doc, but no go. So Tom graciously gives his isolinear chip Aww. to Harry. It was so nice of you. So Paris is awesome. You. Paris right. is really it's, good. No, you, when you're when you're when you're scripted to do something nice, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> you know. My God! All right, so we're now in astrometrics, right. um, and now we see a Bolian on the view screen. We later realize this is the publisher, or at least one half of the publishing team, and he is gushing over the doc the doctor's work. Absolutely loves it. He wants to distribute. Uh, start distribution by the end of the month. And doctor says it's just a working draft and that he needs time to make revisions. He asked the publisher who his favorite character is. The publisher starts to say, of course, it's Lieutenant, but it's cut off. It's got to be is, Paris. Yeah, it's got to be that's, Paris. That's what right? Robbie thinks it's Paris. The doctor's time is up, but he protests to Seven who quips. And I love this. Seven never ever has these little quippy. Well, she does have quippy lines, but not usually towards the doctor. And Seven says, I believe your ego has received enough stroking for one day. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, she did. Goodness. She got a little, she got a little mouthy with the doctor later she did. on. Yeah. yeah. No, but oh, it was always, uh, it was affectionate. It was always with a slight Borg twinkle, but yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that she did recognize that the doctor enjoyed the ego stroking. Yes. yes. Bobby, Bobby P, if you were going to finish that sentence that got cut off from your publisher, when he says, my favorite is Lieutenant, who do you think that person um, was? Well, it would be- Torres or Paris? It would be Lieutenant Marseille, of course. Oh. It would have to be Marseille. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, yes, Marseille. The character, yes. <laughs> because Marseille Port was kind of a sleazy coxman. <laughs> um, and I think that uh, it, it's more of a it's more of a comment on on uh, the publisher, the the Bolian publisher, maybe not getting as much nookie as oh, he hoped. So, OK, I see. Oh, it's my guess. This is great insight. This, this is really, really great. Insight. <laughs> this really is. Um, we do. We do go to uh, sick bay where the doctor enters and he is whistling as he comes in. He's bragging about his meeting with Broughton Forrester. Tom asks if he could talk to the publishers about. Captain Proton may be being published. The doctor says, oh, all right, I'll, I'll talk to them. Tom does ask if he can see the doctor's work. Doctor says, eh, it's not really finished, but he says, come on, I, you need some other eyes to look at this. So the doctor agrees. And Tom finds out the title of this program is Photons Be Free. That's the whole novel. I have a, uh, I have a question. Who did the whistling? Yes. Was that my whistling? Do we want, I don't even know whether I had to be looped I, I I was a much better whistler back then than I am now, but I'm I, I I was I don't know if I'm doing my own whistling. I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I it's interesting. I assumed huh. that I thought it was you. Your whistling. Um, I thought it was you. It might have been me. Right now, I could not whistle along last night with the same you know whistle ability with the really? same successful yeah. Interesting. So it could just be that I don't whistle, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, there, there are some famous whistlers in show business history. Yes. 
Yeah. In Crosby, great whistler, you know, yes. but uh, I don't know that at, at that age, in my mid 40s, whether I was that good a whistler or whether we had to bring in a whistle ringer. I can't remember. I don't know. I, I would bet money it was you, Bob. I I, if so. someone I asked me, that. is Bob Picardo a great whistler? I'd say mm-hmm. absolutely. Really? <laughs> See, you, I seem, my, you seem like a whistler. I think me. of myself as a great cook, a great wit, a great <laughs> lover. Whistler, I don't know, you know, but... <laughs> Okay. okay, we we go now. We're in the holodeck, and Tom is running the program. He's running photons be free, and he pauses the acknowledgement section and skips to the first chapter because he finds out it's nine minutes long. And now, guess where we're at? We're in the sick bay scene from the pilot by the, episode. Caretaker. By the way, I want yes. to say when when I'm go. listening to the introduction in, in yes. the holodeck, mm-hmm. and I and I stop. It's the best lighting I ever had in seven years on this show. <laughs> I had. Gorgeous. I had backlighting from like yeah. the 1940s glamour. Right. I don't know mm-hmm. why Marvin Rush liked me that week, but he lit me beautifully. So. No, because okay. it was a it's a pulpy novel. He gave it that romantic novel look. Oh yeah. Yes. That's yeah. What no, you did. You looked very, very handsome, Robbie. In fact, I, I noticed that myself. I noticed that. And even even it's... my uh, wife said something like, My, what a handsome man. He used to be something like that. She said something. No, I'm kidding. No, she said. Wow. <laughs> she wow. said something very complimentary. So, mm, I'm sure go. she. Yeah. <laughs> it was the lighting. Okay. It was all the lighting. <laughs> what nice lighting they gave your castmate, <laughs> yes. Robbie. So chapter one starts exactly where our basically our show starts, which is the activation of the doctor in sick bay after the huge um, accident where everyone's dying. And what's really interesting is that they cast someone else to activate the doctor. And I'm like, wait a minute, because that was Harry's thing. Like Harry was the one that was supposed to. And the funny thing is the actor that they cast to be in that scene that's not me sounds like me. So I thought, why would they even do that? I I, I didn't understand why, but that, that was a little wow. bit confusing. That is, that, you're absolutely right, because you're yeah. the one who activates. The doctor for the, the very first time. The, the doctor for the first time. And so yeah. I, I knew it was a different actor, but I hmm. but I forgot in that moment. Right. And they also, of course, they didn't do any of the dialogue. I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, it's different. You don't you don't say, yeah, you don't say medical tricorder or any of that. But they do. They did create. Obviously, you get activated roughly at the same place in sick bay. Correct. And uh, it is strange that they didn't use you. Maybe, Garrett, you you just didn't want to you know, you didn't want to work that day. Well, I didn't have that kind of power. That's for sure. We know that. <laughs> um, but we also, in this scene, we see a very different looking Chakotay walk in. He has long yes. hair and a ponytail. He's a he's Bajoran. A Bajoran. Tri- I mean, he's, he's a Bajoran. Bajoran. Exactly. He has tribal, a tribal, like a, an earring, a very long chain. And of course, the tattoo is completely different. It is in full color, not monochrome. And there's a snake design going on with either a, a shield or I don't know. I paused it trying mm-hmm. to make it out. Couldn't figure it out. But I'll tell you, the makeup department must have had a blast putting on that design on his face for sure. But he's holding an injured crew member that we cannot quite make out. Uh, then we do realize there's a reveal. It's Lieutenant Marseille. The doctor moves on from Marseille because he is very low priority. He only has a minor, minor, minor injury. And Chicote says he needs Marseille to be on the bridge. So he needs to be treated now. Chicote speaks very rudely to the doctor. Janeway comes into sick bay, asks what the problem is, and also speaks very rudely to the doctor and solves the issue of treatment priority by killing the more severely 
injured crew member, a.k.a. Pablo. That was Pablo that was actually shot yes, with the phaser. Was. If we both recognize Pablo Soriano, one of our regular background and also stand-ins. Uh, yeah. So any any words on this scene, guys? Well, here's my only thought is that obviously the doctor thinks a lot of Lieutenant Marseille, that he needs to program in how important Lieutenant Marseille <laughs> is to our yeah. our ship. Mm. It's worthy of the captain killing another crew member to save Lieutenant Marseille. So I just oh, thought okay. that was that appropriate, appropriate right. respect for the sure. inspiration Tom Paris for that character. Do you have any comments there, Bob? Well, um, I I hear what you're saying, Robbie, and uh, <laughs> it does seem counterintuitive since the doctor always considered you the most worthless medical assistant in sickbay <laughs> he could possibly have. So I don't think that the doctor was, you know, was accustomed to uh, assigning you critical value uh, in the Voyager crew. <laughs> Having said that, you know, you were a much better pilot, of course, than you were a medical assistant. So I guess it's possible. But, uh, you know, maybe it might be that the doctor secretly regarded you uh, as a more valuable member of the crew than I, I think as an have. actor, recall. So, you know, I kept my feelings about you very separate from the doctor's <laughs> feelings. And by the way, the real Tom Paris is still working as a nurse in the sick bay because he's doing it. And in this scene, so seven yes. years later, he still he has not improved. He's not improving. He's a lot in life. Just, no, okay. he's still a nurse. All right. We jump to the mess hall and we have Bolana, Harry and Neelix very intensely and intently listening to the story that Tom is telling about the hollow Captain Jenkins killing hollow Pablo. That actually, I like that, hollow Pablo. Uh, and it's you know shocking to everybody. They discuss whether they should report this to the captain. Bolana accuses Tom of hollow novel author jealousy. Tom tells everyone to just run the program yourselves and see what see what it's all about. Yeah. So that's it's a good scene. I, I love remember. this. this scene, yeah, I love it too, but you go on, Rob. I was just going to say, we never have these scenes where a handful of us are just hanging around talking like friends do. We're always talking mm -hmm. mission in the briefing room or something. This was such a nice little friends Light type scene. scene. I loved mm -hmm. it. Buddy mm -hmm. scene. Yeah. It was great. It was great. And what were you going to say? Uh, I was, uh, Roxanne has the most delicious, bemused smile listening <laughs> to you complain. It's quite, she's really, it's delightful. She almost wants to burst out laughing in your face yes. that you are so upset it's yeah. adorable so it i, I yeah, remember her great. very well her her expression is just delightful and yeah. that's it yeah. agreed all right now we're in sick bay chapter five out of the frying pan in which our protagonist must confront abusive colleagues so torres is now playing the doctor and let's just start calling her refer to her as tor doc to make it easier. Torres uh, is now playing the doctor now as a female crew member enters sick bay and says that she's come for her physical. And right after she comes in, Lieutenant Marseille arrives. And I love Bolana's look on her face where she starts to smile and then pulls it back. She's trying to play the program. And um, Marseille tells the doctor or tour doc that she needs to go to engineering and treat those that were injured by a ruptured plasma conduit. So as tour doc starts to leave, her leg starts to fritz as she starts to step into the corridor. So Marseille very rudely reminds the doctor to take the mobile emitter. 
Now we see the mobile emitter for the very first time. It is massive. Now, do you guys remember this prop? It's a backpack. Prop? It's yes, a giant but, backpack. But but let me let me if you look at it very clearly, that backpack was a backpack made by a designer that somebody had decided that they were going to take the um the plastic the gas shell, tank, the or, plastic yeah. shell of a motorcycle gas tank, and form that into the backpack, right? So that was I remember seeing that at a couple of boutique stores uh, in the LA yeah, it was and very Vegas. Popular, it was yeah. very popular, and they just took that design. They actually bought one of them, added the extra extra stuff on uh, for the straps to make it look more sci-fi, more Trek, and still, you know, a few more doohickeys. But basically, it is that backpack of part of a motorcycle. Yeah. shell basically it was a great prop and i again want to just uh compliment myself on yeah. great heavy, heavy prop acting <laughs> i when i lifted it up to put it on roxanne struggling like as if this thing weighed 500 pounds and i know it didn't right in fact i was overacting so much in this scene i I feel like I deserve some sort of prize for it. It was yes. big acting. Right. I did eye rolls. I did heavy yes. prop I acting. Think you, I think you should get the Dr. Fancy Pants Award for um, for overacting in sickbay. Normally, yeah, it, it was it was my it was awarded to me. But but as a, um, I think I, I would like to say that for this particular scene, thank you. You deserve it. Season. Thank seven. you. I feel like it was the mustache that did it. The mustache, the mustache put yeah. me over no, the that, top. That slight, and you have that. It's kind of a pencil-y mustache. It's very. It it's is a, a little, horrible. Yeah. It's <laughs> it is it's very sleazy. It, I mean, it wasn't very. It's not a yeah. pencil thin, but it's a thin mustache, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was Brandon's nickname for me, Doctor Fancy Pants. Oh, he said what he called you. I did not. He know called that. me. He called me Doctor Fancy Pants. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Oh my lord! Okay, so now we're in uh, we're in engineering where Tor or Tordoc is gone Tordoc. to help all these plasma conduit rup, you know rup, these people are supposedly have plasma burns, but they're you know she walks in and what do we see? We see Torres actually completely it's Tori, human though. It's Tori, Tori exactly. Excuse me, Tori, Tori is, is her completely novel name. human. Yes, that's her no hollow novel name because it's and so different than the real Bolana Torres. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, I would your, say your imagination even... for this hollow hollow novel, Bob, is just phenomenal. <laughs> she... Well, again, this is the doctor. The doctor was programmed. I did not write the script. Okay, right. I'm only an actor. Right. Uh, I had to deal with you know with whatever they gave me, Robbie. That's the kind of team player I am. <laughs> you really, I know, you really are. Uh, Tori is completely human and completely sarcastic, yes. even more sarcastic than real life Torres. She also treats holodoc like crap. Uh, she says that uh, yes. engineering is off limits to holograms. Tori threatens to reprogram the doctor if they don't head back to sick bay immediately. So it's a it's a great scene though between uh, Torres and Tordoc. I, I Another love split screen with and all of these scenes, by the way, when when Roxanne was acting with herself, you had to have a photo double. In fact, mm -hmm. you had to have two photo doubles because mm -hmm. when, you know, there was one photo double for the short haired Tory look mm -hmm. over that photo double. And then you had to have another photo double in the Bellana Torres wig oh. and all that. So right. it was a it was a, a puzzle of a of an episode for David Livingston to shoot with mm -hmm. all these, you know, um, actors playing themselves in two different roles in in these scenes. Yeah, he did a great job. And by the way, I think Roxanne, she wore her a wig 
but it was very similar to her real hair in real life, mm-hmm. you know, the shorter mm-hmm. haircut. And right. she didn't have the ridges. She didn't have to put on any makeup. I bet she was thrilled. I yeah. bet she oh, was yeah. very happy. But she had to go. Do you think she only went in and out of the Torres makeup once that day? Right. Hopefully they shot it. So she only had when she shot her side, probably. she never had to go back into that. Yeah. No, well, it's that always, was, yeah, she probably started as the yeah. human, like start as the human yeah. person, do that side mm-hmm. and then turn it, go get, go get makeup on while they shoot something else and then turn around and shoot. It's, her and it was side. always delightful to see Roxanne's mm-hmm. full, beautiful face on camera. Yes. Because we're so used to seeing her in the makeup, which she looked, you know, uh, very pretty in as well. But in those few episodes i think there was this one there was uh one that featured her called blood something where she had to uh, blood fever i think she appeared in that one in a dream or something as but uh, and maybe one other one where we got to see her whole face so i always i always think that's a you know that that's also a special moment when we get to see her outside of the makeup did you see one last thing about roxanne in this scene when she's at the very end when she says uh one you go back to sick bay before I start doing a little reprogramming, and she like flips a tool. Yeah, she, she does like a cowboy spin. A, yeah, yeah, flips it and catches. It. I was like, that is cool. That should have been her bit all along. She yeah. should have been flipping uh-huh. tools. Yeah, the like, whole like she's a drummer. She did a great job. Yeah, <laughs> it was very mm-hmm. cool. Super cool. Yeah. All Where right. Go so, next. Uh, so after being rebuked by Tori, Tordoc does return to sick bay. But guess what? Sick Bay is extremely dark. There are no lights on. But once lights come on, we reveal a Marseille on the clamshell bed with the female crew member from earlier, the the one that was there for the physical. He's definitely giving some type of physical to her. And he, uh, you know, he's caught and he jumps off of there and he threatens to purge the doctor's memory buffers. If he mentions any of this to his wife, I love this scene, by the way, this was a very funny scene for me. Um, funny. A second female more, crew member more pops overacting, in. by yes. the way, it was great <laughs> overacting by no, Robert no, Robbie, no, but you can, you can only big. get the award once the Dr. Fancy Pants <laughs> award once per episode. Robbie. Oh. So you don't okay. have, there's well, no reason to campaign <laughs> anymore. All right. <laughs> well, if I was to award it, I would award it for this scene. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, so see, he by, is the, by the way, yeah, he's administering a treatment to her, which is <laughs> looks very, very painful and very unpleasant. Clearly, but, you know, <laughs> She looked miserable, oh, no. by the way. She looked she very did. unhappy about it. I will say yeah. that this scene, at the end of this scene, I thought, God, it feels like we're going back to, and I mean from the real writers of this episode. Yeah, They're going into these cliches that they actually wrote Tom Paris the first couple seasons yeah. very much mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. And it really bothered me. It really bothered. I hated that side of Tom Paris. And it's mm-hmm. interesting in this episode because when Tom programs the doctor to behave that way, it is super creepy and unpleasant. And the doctor is, is furious. Furious, yeah. He's so upset. But yet Tom Paris got written that way in real life for a couple of seasons. And it just yeah. made me think like, God, I hate it. It's just, yeah. Do you, Robbie, like do you it. remember that scene on the clamshell? Like, do you remember shooting Not that really. scene at all? Like, were you guys... No. So were you guys actually canoodling or was it just kind of like you no. just got up? From, no. So there was no. No, I think my happening. face was like down in her hair or something. Yeah, her it was actually canoodling. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. We were, so, there was no, 
Yeah, I, I, I just it was you were like you were that side of Tom Paris. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. But as an actor, I yes. didn't like that side of Tom Paris. Yeah. I really liked as the character evolved into someone. Well, I'm you know I'm, more clever and funny and yeah and uh, sincere with with Bellana and all that. So well, anyway. I'm sorry the scene triggered you, but it made me laugh. It did trigger time. me a little bit. Okay, so I apologize. Yeah. But it was very humorous okay. to me. Okay, so now we're in uh, Captain Jenkins' ready room. And I, I must say Captain Jenkins because it's completely different, this ready room. Chapter six, duel in the ready room in which our protagonist faces an inquisition. We see all types of modern and antique weapons displayed. Just so many guns. She has guns galore. Just, <laughs> this is like well, she a She just shot somebody in, yeah. in sick bay. So she clearly did. she loves guns. She's into guns. And she points this antique flintlock you know, uh, handgun at Neelix, who's actually Neil, Neil Doc at this point. Yeah. Neelix is playing the doctor. And uh, the captain is just not happy with what the doctor has done with the extra subroutines programmed into his program by himself, essentially. So she calls for Mr. Tuvok, who Tuvok walks in, and it's not Vulcan Tuvok as we know. It is now a human Tim Russ yes. with a goatee. With a goatee, yes. yes. And then Kimball, which is the character that I get to play, is he's Trill. He has Trill markings. His hair is slicked back. And I, oh God, I remember when uh, Jose Normand was slicking my hair back for this scene. It was, I don't know how many products, products she ended up putting in there, but it was like cement when she was done. Like it took, <laughs> it took, I'm going to, I'm not joking. It took probably one hour to get that out of my hair. That's how, how that's how thick wow. that was. It was like an ice skating rink. It looked, wow. it was, you're lucky you didn't live through the 1950s. Garrett, I, <laughs> that's all like, cause you would have looked like is that it, going to school every day. Is know? that what they put in their hair? All that yeah, pomade I mean, like, or whatever? Bril, my God. Cream or yeah, whatever. So oh, yeah. So a little God. dabble, do you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so Tulak and Kimball enter to take the doctor to the Hollow Lab for reprogramming. Then we uh, do we have any any point any comments on this scene with the Janeway and the gun and, and the whole ready room, gentlemen? No. Nope. Okay. No. Let's move but it on. I, but I thought I do think it was interesting that they made the Janeway character. The doctor makes the Janeway character like a you know like a gunslinger. Um, yeah. Because that that makes no sense. I mean no. At least, no. at least the doctor would have been aware that Tom Paris had a checkered past, right? Right, right. and uh, and he, um, but th that that version of Janeway um, that she's, uh, you know, that she's trigger happy. I don't know where the heck that came from. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Kate did a great job, though. Her oh, evil she's always, yeah. Jenkins. Yeah, she was great, and her mm -hmm. wig, and her wig, and they made her look. Hard. I mean, I'm sure it's really her acting, but also I think the makeup on her was much less. Well, you know, she just looked tougher and, tougher, and nasty. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. you also—it's interesting because the doctor basically programs every hollow character to have brown hair in this one. If mm -hmm. you think about it, Janeway is a darker hair color. Chakotay mm -hmm. is that that also. You know, everyone has, and even Paris, Marseille. Yeah. Has a dark. He's, it's dyed. Everything is very, very dark hair. So, but straw. But uh, seven and nine is strawberry blonde. Correct. Oh, that's yes, the only. That's, that's the right. only one, though. Right. Just mm -hmm. seven. Everyone yes. else is very, very. But again, seven is is uh, the apple of the doctor's eye. So therefore, mm -hmm. it makes sense that she's more angelic looking or a different right. color. Okay. Next scene: Turbo Lift Interior, Chapter Seven: The Escape. Uh, this scene was just. I don't. I'm not sure what what 
Tuvok was playing or Tulak was playing was like when he was saying, are you Ensign? Are you afraid you're going to risk get another disease? Like the way he said it, I thought he was referring to like STD disease. But I guess he was referring to the fact that Kimball was more of just a hypochondriac. He's a germaphobe. He's a germaphobe. Yeah, is what that's is, what I right? got. That, that so you didn't get the other way then? You just got that no. one then. Okay. I got right. that the doctor had programmed Kimball, yeah. the, the Harry Kim holodeck version, right. Kimball as a germaphobe, as mm-hmm. a worrywart, as a nervous. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. And, and I thought it was great. Again, another scene with Garrett, you playing both characters in the, in the turbo lift in the same right. scene, really well shot. Yeah. Really nice, you know, distinguish the characters from each other. And you had the backpack on. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also for all of us, when we were playing our holo characters, we all played jerks to the doctor. So that's, that's mm-hmm. one yeah. great way to, de- to delineating between our normal characters is the fact that we're all jerks in this one. So the turbo lift doors open and this is where we reveal seven for the first time, hollow seven, <laughs> which is her, her name is three, three of and, eight, uh, three <laughs> yeah. of eight. And three says she'll escort the prisoner. And uh, Tulak is confused. He's like, no, we were supposed to take the, the uh, the prisoner will stick with him and they go out into the hallway and three uses her like some kind of wrist weapon. She ha- yeah. You know, she, she wrist, has controls on her controls on her like a, like a magic Dick watch. Tracy. Yeah. Dick yeah. She Tracy got a Dick watch. Tracy watch <laughs> and she throws up a force field mm-hmm. and then uh, attacks Tulak and Kimball and uh, Kimball. Yeah. And basically lets Harry as the doctor character. She has sympathy for the doctor. So this is the first Mm -hmm. character that the doctor has programmed that has any sympathy Mm -hmm. and uh, and allows Kimball to escape. Mm-hmm. And it says run, and we cut into the sick bay. Actually, not Kimball. And Kim Doc, right? Kim Kimball's Doc. knocked Kim down Doc. the floor. Yes. Yeah, Kim Doc escapes exactly. Mm-hmm. Kim you can Doc see why escapes. my wife was confused. Oh yeah, this thing. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to track. It is it really a little is. confusing. It was just, hard for me yeah. to track. Wait, who's Kim playing Doc the doctor? And, now? Yeah, knee Doc and Torres Doc. And, uh, you yeah, know what? Kudos, kudos to Livingston for even keeping this all together while filming Keeping this. all this Good straight. Lord, my goodness. So many things happening. But, you know, Kimball, excuse me, Kim Doc doesn't get very far. Another force field comes up. A couple of security guys grab Kim Doc and take him away. Mm-hmm. We cut inside the uh, sick bay next, and we hear the uh, doctor say, Chapter 8, A Tragic End, where our protagonist learns his fate. And now we cut inside and Janeway is playing the doctor in this right. scene. And Jenkins, another scene with Kate playing two characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Jenkins says, we're going to we're going to decompile. Your matrix is going to be decompiled. They're basically going to kill the doctor in this mm-hmm. scene. And Tori, uh, evil Torres, is ready to do it. Mm-hmm. Jenkins says, do it. And uh, three of eight stops it. And she's she's got this short little speech where she says, you know, one day... The EMH and all others like him will be recognized for what they really are, intelligent individuals with a passion for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this does nothing the only Jenkins. one. <laughs> no, no, no. And as she says, decompile the program, again, she's looking in the lens here. So there's a lot of these moments where the characters are looking in the lens because they're in the game, they're in the video game. Mm-hmm. And her, her image starts to um, dissolve away. And... Uh, then we're back in the holodeck with the with the doctor as the narrator saying uh wrapping it all up yep. with I hope you have a better understanding of 
of the struggles that holograms go through. And Bob, you were looking right in the camera there, you know, another fourth yes. wall break. Mm -hmm. um, and as you end the game there, we hear Janeway call uh, the doctor, report to my ready room right now. She sounds mad at the she, end of the Yeah, scene. she does. She only sounds Quick. mad at the very end when she says the now part. She's she's pretty calm. She's like, Janeway mm -hmm. to the doctor, report yeah. to my ready room now. It's like ready now. room now. Now was, she landed on now so heavy. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But then we um, have the the next scene is in the briefing room, not a ready room, correct? Correct. So what yes. so what happened there, Bob? Was there another scene that got cut out with you and Janeway in her actual ready room that then moved into the briefing room? Um, not that I recall. Okay. I don't I don't recall. Um, mm -hmm. um I just think that but it is interesting that that she does call me to her ready room and then we're having a group meet. Yeah. Uh, and, yes. Unless there, there is a scene, I mean, unless the audience is presumed to, uh, unless the audience is supposed to presume that she first brings up that, um, that this has upset not only her, but several members of the crew and that we're all going to have a talk together, you know. But and I don't you, recall there being a cut scene. Right. I don't recall but, that. But, but that makes perfect sense, though. That's logical, right? She dresses mm -hmm. you down in her ready room and says, and by the way, here's some other people, your friends, who are also offended or or mm -hmm. not happy with you. And then you make the move from ready room to to the briefing room, which is really just a, a walk across the bridge. So it's quick. It's yeah. possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the, in the briefing room, basically, the crew is confronting the doctor and yes. saying, you know, this novel that you've written is is nothing like us you know it, it's it's making us look horrible and it's not true yeah and the doctor's defense is well of course it's not true it's all made up and and uh you know i i write what i know this is just i'm i'm basing it mm -hmm. starting from things that i know but it's all you know uh imaginary characters imaginary situations and it brings them around to you know he says it's a metaphor this is all just a metaphor because the point of it is these are the these are the burdens that I live with every single day. You don't understand the how hard it is to be uh, a hologram. And um, well, Janeway was... really has some insight in here where she kind of says, "Is you know, it sounds like this was written by someone who feels oppressed. Is that how you see yourself?" Mm -hmm. She's really trying to be empathetic and see his side of this. Mm -hmm. um but he he's not he's not aware of that in the scene he goes you know of course i don't feel oppressed the but but the real victims are back in the alpha quadrant my emh brother so he does feel like there's a a, a righteous reason for writing this novel but it it he doesn't see how it could reflect badly on any of the of and, his friends yeah and the metaphor you're referring to is actually the metaphor talking about the mobile emitter being so heavy why was it so heavy and he's saying it's a metaphor yeah. it's that the burden i must carry mm -hmm. so just want to yeah. make that clear but i want to ask you robbie because i personally felt like we were too heavy-handed in our complaints to the doctor i felt like we should have been calmer like we were I don't know why we were screaming and yelling. It just seemed to, I, I feel like if anyone's going to get emotional about it, it's more the doctor should have been more emotional about this than us. Mm -hmm. We should have been more matter of fact, like, you know, oh, so it is about Voyager then. Like, but I was like, so it is about Voyager. Like I was so yelly in this scene that I felt yeah. it was too much personally. I don't know what your uh, your an analysis of this was, Robbie, when you watched this. I don't this. know. I, I okay feel like I liked this scene. Bob, okay. what were your thoughts? Bob, on what were your thoughts about this? I, I, um, this was a little, 
as an actor, I thought that it's uh, uh, the doctor, let's face it, was oblivious yes. early on. But given this point in my development uh, uh, and the, uh, of a personality and my development of sensitivity toward patients and all that, I found it a bit of a reach for me that I am oblivious to um, yeah. to the crew's complaints. You mm -hmm. see what I mean? Yeah. I thought yeah. that was uh, that was a little tough to pull off. And 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 I don't I'm not saying that this is what I thought of back in the day, but in watching it, my I think my character's um, how should I put this? His real excuse is, look, guys, this is uh, it's not a finished product yet. And some of these scenes, and certainly the names are placeholders, and I'm, I intend to change it more. But my basic point is that, um, is that uh, humans, have, humans are flawed mm -hmm. in ways that we are not as, as mm -hmm. artificially created beings. And, what's, and there's a certain lack of fairness in the fact that I'm treated in a, uh, you know, that I am pigeonholed or prejudged in a way when you guys seem to accept all sorts of uh, every manner of flaw in each other, you mm. organics. So that was the way. But I did feel I did feel at the time uh, I've grown. My character has advanced beyond yeah. the, this level of obliviousness, at least with the people he cares about on the crew. So I thought that was a little, you know, I thought it was a little tough to to have to pull that off. Yeah, he, it, it was tough. It would, I can totally see that. It would have been tough to pull off the obliviousness here, but they were trying, I guess, to save it for when he really had the experience where Tom has rewritten his program and he, mm -hmm. the shoes are reversed and he's, he experiences what they experienced. So it, it, it did take oh. a leap of faith to kind of go through this part <laughs> and, of the and, story. And with your typical heavy handedness, uh, Mr. Yes, Harris. Exactly. Yeah. That's I mean, how you, I get the you, award in you, this episode. Well, you no, but I mean, but it's no more heavy handed than making Captain Janeway, you know, shooting an injured criminal. <laughs> but, but it is it is that shocking for the doctor when, you know, yeah. so and, and and we I can't wait to talk about that scene because that's one of my was so, it was such, so much fun to do. Yes. <laughs> um, but at the end of the scene in the briefing room, the doctor, you know, he just doesn't see their point. It doesn't see their side yet. And he walks out, storms yeah. out. Yeah. And so yeah, there's no compromise or anything. It's just the end of the scene. No. We jump over to Astrometrics and on the view screen are the parents of Harry Kim, John and Mary Kim are on screen. And, Mary talks about how Harry's very popular with her eighth graders. It's all they ever talk about, Voyager this, Voyager that. And what's so funny is that Seven is sitting off to the side listening to this conversation I'm having with my parents, which should be private. But we've got Seven eavesdropping, basically. And, uh, you know, Mary Kim, Harry's mom, has some ideas that Harry seems to be much more important than he really is on the ship as if he is in command all the time. And so, you know, Harry tries to set her up straight. And then Mary says that she needs to know how hard you work and I need to write her a letter. And this is when Harry flips out and starts saying, please, mom, don't do this. Don't. And it's, it's just, it just reminds me of when I was a kid and my mom was said, I'm going to come to school and talk to your principal. I was like, oh, don't do it. It's the same thing. It's exactly. You know thing. what, you know what this reminded me of though, Gareth, <laughs> In our podcast, I can't remember when exactly, but didn't your mom write a letter in real life to Rick Berman? 
or make a call or something or go, didn't your mom in real life? Well, I wondered if they took this, they wrote this. That's what Megan thinks. Based on. <laughs> Megan thinks that. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, about when, yes. When that time when I, when I was late to work uh, for Bob's episode that he was directing. Yes. And then I got sent up to the office. And then I told, I called my mom and told her what happened. And she flew Didn't down. Did she write a letter her, or something? Dude, she flew to LA without telling me. She was and did at she the go front to the office? Of, she was at the gates of Paramount. LZ walked I, up to me. That's and what said, I was like, remembering. Yeah. yeah, he said, he said, he said, uh, hey, hey, uh, Garrett. I go, yeah, what's up, what's up, LZ? Uh, yeah, there's a woman at the gates of Paramount claiming to be your mother. And I was like, what? <laughs> She's here to see Rick Berman and, and, and Jerry Taylor. I'm like, no. Oh, so yeah. Uh, so this scene, I do I, feel. I think they wrote this scene oh, hell yeah. because of I mean, that. Oh, I think this yes. was completely well. <laughs> That's well, amazing. I do remember watching it that uh, uh, Elizabeth said, uh, get, says Harry Kim has a tiger mom. Yes. <laughs> there you Meaning go. Us. She has there very high, expect, high expectations for her sons. Oh, you know? most definitely. Most definitely. But, you know, but even if they didn't write this, Robbie, specifically for my own experience, it's definitely an experience or or it's it's a cliched sort of stereotype that Asian parents and not even a stereotype. It's based in truth. Asian parents are very hardcore when it comes to their kids. But she and was their very. Success. But she was not at all. Uh, she's in no way the actress playing your mother is in no way bossy. She's as sweet as can be. They didn't yeah. portray yeah. her oh, yeah. as no. being. When I say I use Tiger Mom in quotes because yeah. she's not at all fierce in her no, defense no. or her pushing you to be no. more successful. Correct. But I thought I that scene, your reaction really made me smile, Garrett. I thought that I was know. a very funny scene. Very funny scene because you're clearly embarrassed in the same way all of us are when yeah. when we've let our parents perhaps believe a little too much that we're a little, <laughs> you know, that 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 we're a little more successful than we are or yeah. a little more prized in the workplace than we are. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was a I thought that was a great scene. I liked it yeah. a lot. Yeah. It was fun. And a great and also fun. a great scene to set up Seven's experience. She needs to drive her to actually call her. Oh, on. right. Did you guys Very think much. that did you guys think I played that too harshly at the end when she says when Kim goes, you just don't get it, do you? And she's like, no. And I go, well, maybe if you had family you were close to, you'd feel a little differently. And I walk out with such just it just but maybe that's it needed to be there to set up the later scene. I, I think, think I, I to had to have that little pressure yeah. there on her. Right. A little bit of. Ugh, yeah, it was like you were embarrassed it. too. You yeah. were you you perhaps were a little testy because you'd been publicly embarrassed in a yes. way. So, and she yes. saw it. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it worked. It worked. Now we do have a chief medical officer's personal log, which is rare. I mean, very rare to hear any personal logs other than Captain Janeway. And Bob says, or the doctor says, although the decision has made me unpopular with the crew, I've decided not to compromise my work. I'm making some final revisions to the program before transmitting it. Now, <clears throat> this is <laughs> this scene coming up is the uh, hilarious uh, again. Back in the holodeck, the doctor walks in trying to do make his revisions. He's running the EMH program, photon, Photons Be Free. But instead of seeing himself as the narrator, we see Paris narrator who says, welcome. You've made an excellent choice. You've obviously, uh, you're obviously a person with impeccable taste. And now the doctor freezes the program and the computer says unable to comply. It is, it's. It's constantly running. <laughs> You're about to embark on this remarkable journey. And your job would be to assist the chief medical officer and learn to tolerate his overbearing behavior and obnoxious bedside manner. Please <laughs> remember, patience is a virtue. And oh my gosh. Again, 
Robbie and Bob, your thoughts on uh, this and the beginning uh, before we see what I don't do impersonations about. as a rule. I, yeah. It's just not a thing I'm good at and I don't often do it, but I do feel like I did a little bit of a Picardo flair oh, there at yeah. the very end. Yeah. Remember, patience, patience is, is a virtue. virtue. Like oh, I had my finger go. up. And yes. So I, I, okay. mm-hmm. did you notice that, Bob? Uh, yes, I did. And, and I. <laughs> And I would say simply that you're right. You don't do impressions well, um, but that but that was a it was very cute. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just teasing you, Robbie. I love this scene. My behavior is completely outrageous. Yes, it has one of the sickest lines ever to be on in an 8 p.m. Uh, time slot on television. I think yes. when I refer to uh, you know uh, the uh, three of eight being triplets or something like that, yeah. it is beyond sleazy. Yeah. I love having a comb over. I thought that was genius. What's, how did you do the comb over? Do you recall? Oh, I didn't. I mean, that was written in. I did not. Oh, that that's was not part my of it. suggestion. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done that gag myself. In there's a Joe Dante movie where I have a little tiny hairpiece. I call it. It has a name that I can't say on your podcast because I'm sure you're <laughs> PG 13. But there's an old thing when when men had a little bit of hair, they would. St- it was uh, like a streak of hair that was plastered down. Yes, yes. So I have done the comb over gag before, but this time it was in the script. <laughs> they found the hairpiece. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. I thought it was very funny. And uh, oh, God. I love my space age golf putter. I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, but literally, my, uh, you know, my misogyny with uh, Seven of Nine and all that is unspeakably. <laughs> uh horrendous but but i as i said i did not write the lines right and uh and given permission to play the scene massaging uh you know lasciviously jerry ryan's shoulders (laughs) i must say that i was uh, very well behaved and uh and and would never do anything to make my co-star uncomfortable Mm. having said all of that i loved playing that scene loved it (laughs) it was a fun scene (laughs) And but you played you, both characters. I mean, you were able yeah. to play yourself oh my God. as the doctor observing, as, you know, as the, as the doctor image. as the medical assistant. As the yeah. doctor, yeah. As the the doctor is yes. more. Um, yes, and the doctor You're mortified is and mortified in I, his expressions. You know, but so Bob, I, I mean, you, yeah. I want to say kudos to you because your physicality in this scene, as as creepy, let's just say creepy uh, doc, okay, is just amazing because when you're scanning. You didn't do your normal scan. You do this thing. You're like, mm, I mean, you right. did you all your acting choices were to definitely differentiate between creepy doc and regular docs. And God, that was hilarious. I, I just love, I, I asked, I remember the rewrite. I did I did call the front office and say, when she says it hurts when I do this, and I say, well, don't do it, which is the oldest doctor joke in the world. Hey, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Don't yeah. do it. I mean, that's an old vaudeville joke. But I said, can I slap her on the arm and then say, uh, don't be a baby. <laughs> um, and uh, and so they did let, let me add that line. That was wow. Oh, that's yeah. that's oh my God. Because I, I say it under my breath. You like do. Because yeah, she, she says, yeah. ouch, right? She reacts and yeah. you go, don't be a baby. And you you it's almost like a throwaway line. Mm-hmm. But it, it was funny. so perfectly spoken put in there that that's and probably it's so one of the best completely out of character done. for oh, the doctor i mean definitely. all of that and you're right the tricorder waving oh my I told god da- david i wanted to I, do i'm just yeah. gonna you know break all the rules that we've established for six years 
So funny. <laughs> so damn. But also the beginning, um, Robbie, if you think about it, it goes from uh, seeing in the holodeck before the program begins. And, and then the beginning of it, you hear Paris saying chapter one, it's the doctor's world. You're just living in it. I mean, just the titles <laughs> that, <laughs> that Brandon wrote or whoever uh, actually Sussman wrote that, right. Just hilarious. Very, very funny. Very funny. Okay. Uh, corridor. Uh, now yeah, in the corridor, yes. the doctor, now the, the doctor as yes. the real image, uh, catches the real Paris mm -hmm. and basically have, we have a, a walk and talk you, argument where oh, the doctor you guys is are yelling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's really well staged. I mean, I, yeah. I played that, yeah. that, that, uh, one or, uh, played it a couple of times admiring my own ability to go yeah. back and forth over to find the camera three times <laughs> and scene, find the camera effortlessly and then when we fell into the overs finally that was a very i thought considering how many wonders we did in that hallway uh, yeah. i really i i thought i really got the sense of someone who was so upset and was trying to get in your face but couldn't couldn't quite yeah, do well, it oh, yeah and yeah, no. wasn't stopping no and, mm -hmm. no I'm, I'm shocked you guys didn't run out of corridor it seemed like you guys went uh, through uh, everything and then some when you were walking i'm like what the yeah. okay it's All a right. long scene. And That's what I'm saying. Really, the scene had a really nice arc to it. It sort it of, did. Um, you know, it, did. It, it 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 wasn't just a straight ahead argument. There was really some awareness that the doctor finally has. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, Tom fights back with the doctor in the scene at one point, but then at the end kind of says, you know, do what you want with it. Like, yeah. you know, I've made my point and, right. um, and uh, you know, you decide what you want to do. I yeah. thought it was a great scene. I I don't remember filming it though, Bob. I I, I was. I don't watching think I remember filming it either. But it's mm. it's quite seamless. It's really, I yeah. would say, yeah. an unusually good hallway walk and talk. And oh, the for, for your audience that doesn't, you know, these are scenes that have to be perfect. Any scene in one where there's no cuts, every moment of the dialogue has to be perfect. Visually, you know, if there's a if there's a second too long where a character's face is blocked or a keyword is delivered behind the shoulder of the foreground character, that any little detail that isn't perfect, you would notice it as an mm -hmm. audience yeah. right away. But when it really works as well as it does, when it's as well staged and executed, it 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 looks great and it and it yeah. gets it gets a, a pretty high page count from our script in one shot and those were yeah. i always thought that they were fun that was clearly a steady cam shot who would have been our operator on that would that have been joe Gunner? jess maybe yeah no, probably. didn't joe leave earlier than that i thought joe it was may doug. Have left yeah it's probably doug knapp is what i'm thinking oh uh, doug god right. rest doug doug passed yeah. away as you know so what yeah, doug yeah knapp. Doug, when did yeah, that we, happen um he a died couple of years ago uh, yeah i didn't know that two, guys years ago yeah oh my goodness mm -hmm. I didn't know it um, until until later, but uh, for the wow. same very tough kind of cancer, the a pancreatic cancer that uh, Jonathan Frakes, Kitty Swink, uh, you know, um, that raised money for. So the, I, I'm Oof. a big supporter of the pan pan can pan pancreatic cancer uh, network is okay. uh, is a yeah. great charity. So I, wow. I just thought I, Doug Knapp. For the sake of the audience, one of our uh, wonderful camera operators on Voyager died at too young an age from a yeah. from a very brutal kind of cancer. So, and he was a lovely guy. I worked with him 
on other shows too. I work at least one or two Joe Dante movies. I think he was uh, sec- he was on the Gremlins movie and all that. So anyway, but I, I didn't mean. I, I just thought I would uh, bring wow. that up. Yeah, but I'm sorry. I'm very a little, important to talk I'm about. A, definitely, and I'm a little shocked. Was, I did not know that information. But um, wow. Okay. Uh, where are we? So we are well, in. We yes. Go back right. to the doctor's office, and mm-hmm. uh, the doctor is sitting there after having experienced the other side of a, of a hollow novel and had his, his conversation with Paris in the hall. We cut into the doctor's office and Neelix comes in. Neelix has written a book, basically a cookbook, a culinary tour of the Delta quadrant and wants the doctor to help him get it published. And by the way, I'll say that Ethan Phillips actually wrote a cookbook, the same thing. It's so funny that you wrote the uh holograms handbook it really is a joke on a joke because it was my envy of ethan phillips writing now they came to him and asked him to write that book the studio Mm, right he didn't didn't, i don't believe he pitched that i think they said hey would you like to do this i went and pitched uh, a book i guess because i must have had some deep-seated envy of uh of neelix writing a cookbook um, but, but in any case, yeah, I think that was a joke on a joke is that he had, yeah. he had a much more successful book sales wise <laughs> than mine. <laughs> That's funny. Well, he wrote it in real life in the scene. Uh, Neelix says he's written a book. He wants to publish just like the doctor's book is getting published. The doctor, you know, is really distracted by how he's affecting, how his book is affecting his friends. Mm-hmm. And um, Neil, don't suggests, I use the word says, lowbrow? You know, don't I say something terrible to him about it being lowbrow? Not here. The lowbrow comments this... are to Paris, actually, or, or oh, okay. not to uh, not to Neil. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's okay. to me, Bob. That's <laughs> lowbrow to, to well, then, me then it, about then it my fitting. stories on totally the holiday. It was totally fitting. Okay. Uh, as long as we're not saying anything <laughs> bad yeah, mean to Neelix. To, yeah. to, yes, yeah. because he's too he's too sensitive. You can take it. You can Robbie. <laughs> you can take it. But but you know, okay. Mr. You know, Ethan well, clearly the, too sensitive a soul. Yes. Mm. The doctor in the scene, though, is having trouble taking it. He's very uh concerned about his friend's feelings. And and Neelix says there's an old Talaxian expression when the road before you splits in two take the third path. And I just love that Neelix has a Talaxian saying, I wish we had seen more, heard more, more Talaxian sayings mm-hmm. as we wrap into, you know, up this series. I thought, God, that's a great like runner bit they could have had for Neelix, always having a mm-hmm. Talaxian saying. Mm-hmm. But anyway, his saying mm-hmm. is um, suggesting the doctor can adjust the program. So it's not obviously based on, Voyager characters and uh, or crew members, and uh, the doctor's concerned. Rewrite will take so much time, um, but Neelix says, "Give him a call." And so the doctor's got is going to take his suggestion. We cut to the astrometrics lab. Oh, and Neelix doctor's hands talking him- to his publisher. Yeah, and Neelix, then Neelix does hand him a-, a chip. Yeah, and what's interesting about it is that the script follows the Talaxian advice because the script to this point has been about one thing and suddenly it takes it's been about you know you're uh, I'm doing the doctor is is creating something that's a work of art and and is and the people that that he works with who say you're basing this on us and it's going to create um, misunderstanding 
about your crew if you publish this. But then it takes right. a, the script takes a th- goes off on a third path, just the same way a script like Tuvix suddenly became about you know uh, you know euthanasia and and right. And, and right to life. You know, it just takes a complete turn. And the doctor yeah. is back on his heels because suddenly he's on defense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a really clever thing about the story. It goes from being basically a comedy, rough, uh, you know, a comedy yeah. episode, and then it becomes a very, you know, it becomes about intellectual property rights yeah. of an mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we do see the doctor talking to his publisher in the Astrometrics Lab. Um, and the publisher thinks these characters are amazing. They're so believable, he says, <laughs> which I found a little implausible. But uh, the the publisher thinks they're believable, and um, and the doctor insists. He says, "No, I've got to rewrite this thing. My friend's reputations are at stake." So we think the doctor has put his foot down and is going to rewrite things, and. Um, we cut into the mess hall where he's telling Torres and Janeway and Chakotay that I'm rewriting this. And, this was uh, weird, guys. Why was it in the mess hall? Did you think that that was weird? We were all lounging around the mess hall. He makes. I, I thought this was would be in the briefing room. Why are we in the mess hall for this announcement? It feels it's very just, just forced, informal. For no, sure. yeah, but just I informal, it felt but also more informal. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It just it it, it struck me as odd. That's all. Just mm-hmm. why are we here? But the purpose of this scene is basically the doctor says, my publisher assures me that he won't distribute the program until I've made the revised version. where I've, yep. I've revised everything and sent that to him. And everyone make a couple of jokes. And Janeway says, take your time, doctor. And, um, you know, that's towards the end of the scene. And basically, uh, the doctor apologizes to Tom yep. Paris about the big yelling and the argument. Paris says, forget about it. And then the doctor even kind of offers a bit, a bit of an olive branch. He says, well, I could use your help with rewrites. Paris is like, really? Oh, uh, okay. Um, well, as a writer, I'm a little unsophisticated. And that's when the doctor says, no, I believe the phrase you're looking for is lowbrow. So the lowbrow line comes in. <laughs> right <the> here. <laughs> it's just a little, and, and it it's just, a little I sucker love, punch. It is. And, and you walk off camera and the camera just focuses on Robbie's face. He's like, he makes this funny face of reactions like, what did he just say to me? I, I um, did a bit. I did, yeah, some, you did a bit. <laughs> some mugging, as it's called in the business, yes. Bob. I don't know if you've ever heard of mugging. No, I don't. I'm, no. I have no idea. What your your work is very subtle. It's very always. subtle. Very close, it's mugging very, very close to the bone. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I was, again, overacting here, giving a funny expression. Mm-hmm. I made the same note. Right. Here. It's the, the you're, you're trying... Trying again, still campaigning for the Dr. Fancy Pants Award, even though you I already really won. was. Paris <laughs> uh, does notice Torres, who's reading a pad, pad da da da, and he chases after mm-hmm. her and he's, he wants to see what's going on. And she says, Oh, it's from my dad. My, my dad wants, he wants to talk to me. Um, and of course, we know Torres is very much estranged from her father from prior episodes. So Paris is asking her, what are you going to do about this? And Torres is like, well, I mean, I'm I'm already supposed to talk with my cousin, but uh, um, I don't even know what to say to him. And then uh, Tom says, a great thing. He says, let him do the talking. So then we end up in Astrometrics with that scene between John Torres and Bellana. And I love that Tom stays with her the entire time. And Tom's with her. She has a she has a talk with her dad. Yeah. And uh, her time's running out. 
and her dad apologizes. He says, you know, I, I thought I'd lost you and, yeah. and I don't want to make the same mistake again. And she says, just as the clock's running out, she says, I'll write you. Yeah. And it's very sweet. That it little, is a sweet that scene. Simple line. I'll write you was great. Great emotions. I love you, that Tom and Bolana join hands. You, you know. grab her hand. He, you made that move. Yeah, Tom, so I, I don't know, even think was, that was, was written into the script. So if you chose to do that, good job. Yeah, very subtle acting, Bob. I just want to make note of the subtle <laughs> I know, but it does <laughs> it, it it does not make up for the for the earlier scenes. Anyway. <laughs> uh we go to Starfleet headquarters. Uh next we have a Starfleet headquarters establishing with a shuttle flying by. Yeah. And inside Barkley basically says to Admiral Paris, you need to check this out. You've mm-hmm. got to, you got to play this program or read this, you know, play this novel because it's spreading like wildfire. It does not portray the Voyager crew in a flattering light. Mm-hmm. We cut into Astrometrics. Janeway's talking to Paris now. He's played this game or played the novel, and she, he can't believe that she allowed uh, this hollow doctor, the EMH, to discredit her crew. And uh, she's very defensive of him. And, yeah. and uh, it's says, just to well, make it clear, he's making said, revisions. Yeah. Yeah. Robbie, just to make it clear, it's Admiral Paris that she's talking to. You just said Paris. So we don't want to confuse people listening. So oh, just no, Admiral Paris. Mm-hmm. He goes by Paris too sometimes. Yeah, he does a few times. Yeah. He does. It's it's weird. <laughs> um. Yeah. But, but she defends him and says, you know, I think the doctor's making some uh, revisions to the to the uh, program, and we cut out to space with a little time passing, mm-hmm. and now we're back in the astrometrics, and the doctor is really upset because he's talking to his publisher. He says, uh, "You assured me that you were going to wait for revisions," which I don't think Bob he did assure you. I think you. It feels to me like in that scene, the doctor made his demands, but the publisher never. Really said, okay. Mm-hmm. No, he never did. You're right. The doctor sort of made the assumption because I think and, the publisher uh, was thinking ahead, or yeah. was thinking according to yeah. his thing that uh, I've got this perfect situation because I have a I have an author yeah. who has no rights. So right. I yeah. think he was already treating me that way in retrospect. You know, yeah, uh, which I, the doctor so, wouldn't have realized at the moment. So yeah. you think, Bob? He knew all along. This entire time, he knew this was what he's going to do. Basically. Well, either that or it's a non-issue. In yeah. other words, my the my the doctor's demands mm-hmm. were just not an issue. He may right. have thought in the moment that he was going to honor them, and then the moment that he hangs up the phone, looks at whatever his release date, the law, for his, uh, right. the, or the or the fact and that the release date. They, yeah, yeah, they needed to push the release date up a week or two, and he knew he knew it wouldn't be a problem because yeah. the character has no you know has no say in the matter. So. Right. Basically, that was basically, that, that was in his back pocket, I think. Or you could assume yeah. that. And and I think this scene sort of in a in a funny way comes back full circle to the doctor's main point of the novel of, you know, it's the same message as his novel that mm-hmm. that holograms are not treated fairly, that they're not mm-hmm. treated with respect and the mm-hmm. same kind of treatment that that organics have. So uh just re- reiterating sort of the theme of of the doctor's mm-hmm. book and you're you're absolutely right but but we've gone from a very comic examination of that point yes mm-hmm. to a much more dramatic one because now definitely. it's yeah and and what's cool about that, i mean within the in the ether right now everybody's talking ai and ai possibly out of control or mm-hmm. that 
headline three weeks ago, AI could destroy humanity and all that. Yeah. All of those issues, you know, um, the seed of the, that discussion really is, uh, is um, in, uh, in this Spiner's character in, in Next Gen and my character in Voyager. This, this episode in particular, the rights, the intellectual property rights of, uh, of an artificial intelligence. I mean, that's a pretty yeah. cool thing to be writing about almost a quarter century ago. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about if someone actually in the future just ends up being a massive Star Trek fan is watching these old episodes and they design an AI that looks exactly like Bob, exactly like Bob. And that <laughs> it becomes the AI that takes over the world. <laughs> Basically, I'm, I'm sorry. My, my brain was going there. Well, okay. they'd have to, they'd have to at least license my, my appearance. <laughs> yes, exactly. yes, yes, exactly. yes. So at the end of this last scene, basically we find out that according to Federation law, holograms have zero rights. They have no rights yeah. at all, which brings us and to the next scene in the briefing room. Brings us, brings us into the briefing room and Tuvok is basically in the scene giving us the explanation of this law. Chakotay asks, could we claim defamation? They're all looking at legal angles. And uh, Paris seems to be a lawyer too, besides a nurse. He's also a lawyer because he knows <laughs> about the defamation claim that we could make and has the legal commentary on it. Uh, I, I just want to point that out, Bob. Well, I think that Paris, you know, because of his dark past, he was probably sued for defamation three or four times. So he would know the law. Right. That's right. not exactly where I thought he got the the wisdom mm -hmm. from, but right. But and he was incarcerated. Well, he was incarcerated, so he would he's hung true. around with criminals, That's true. and these criminals are studying law in prison, and then they explain to him, you know. So he just learned every he learned the right things in the wrong way. I see. I'm glad you could explain that to me because I didn't know where <laughs> Paris got all this legal. If you have any other jumbo. questions, any other questions about your character, some 25 years too late, you come to me. All right, and I'll help you out. This is great. Okay, so Janeway at the end of the scene basically says, look, Doc, you're, you're, you have the same rights as every member of my crew, and I am not going to let this publish, publisher say otherwise. So she's really standing up for him. So we have a captain's log, and it says, a Federation arbitrator has been assigned to determine whether the doctor has the right to control his artistic creation. Because of our limited calm time with Earth, the argument should take about three days. And so we get that space shot. We go to the Pathfinder lab. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start a series, this kind of a montage of these arguments, mm -hmm. where Tuvok's making his plea on the screen in the Pathfinder lab. And uh, Brote is sitting in the room and making his argument. And I just... You know, they basically go through the arguments. Uh, the doctor is a creator of this novel. Uh, Brote argues that a replicator created this cup of coffee. Should the replicator be able to determine if I can drink this coffee or not? Mm -hmm. And the doctor is very offended by that. Um, Tuvok jumps in with some lawyering about works of literature and, and how art is treated. Mm -hmm. And um, I just thought this whole sequence, they, they continue their arguments, but... I thought the whole sequence was really well done because David moved the camera in a great way. You know, he transitioned between this this three days of arguments beautifully, um, with Tuvok ultimately saying kind of that that uh, Section Seven and Gamma of the Twelfth Guarantee defines an artist as a person who creates original artistic work, and that's what this is. So they're sort of arguing the the art side of this case, I guess. But um, 
Yeah, I th- I thought it was a great, really well done sequence, great montage of testimony, the camera movement, and they basically uh, they wrap up their case, and uh, the arbiter said the arbitrator says he'll make his decision in two days, and they go to recess, and um, I just thought it was really well done. It's like you said, Bob, a great argument about artificial intelligence twenty years before. AI was even an issue and they made all the cases in this in this beautiful montage sequence so uh, interesting great. side note too uh, both Janeway I think Janeway Tubak and I are all sitting on these sort of like counter bar stools too yeah in astrometrics yes yeah which yes. is kind of weird it, you know normally we're it, to see us full form sitting on these stools I thought this is a shot that I have never seen in any of the other shows. I, I don't know why. Because, but because yeah. the direct line of communication had to go through astrometrics, you mm-hmm. had to plead your case there. You couldn't do it from the briefing room. You couldn't do mm-hmm. it from the ready room. You had to do it in astrometrics. But I saw. I noticed that too, the stool. Yeah, it was sort of was weird. It's like we were at some sort of weird cocktail party. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, waiting for a drink to be served or something. <laughs> But we also in this 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 I guess this arbitration we do have testimonials from Seven and from mm-hmm. Harry. Harry also mm-hmm. testifies on behalf of the doctor. Yeah. But yes, but the you know the judge is not ready to rule that the doctor is human. Basically, has the same rights as a human. So he does say, two days, I'll give you my decision." Yeah, I do want to make note, Bob, that Paris does not give a testimonial for the doctor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's he true. does not. Right. He does I, not. My recollection is that we shot the scene and you were overacting so much they cut it out, is I think what happened. I don't remember that. <laughs> but I I think you may be right. You may be right, based on what I've seen in of my performance in this episode so far. The highs, the lows, the the it was okay. incredible. I must make this disclaimer to all of our listeners. If you're listening to this, please understand that the banter that you hear between Robbie McNeil and Bob Picardo is what we did on the show. A lot of it is just them joking around. I'm I'm afraid, gentlemen, that there's going to be someone listening to this thinking, wow, Robert Picardo and Robbie McNeil are enemies. They do not no, like each no, other. No. They're cutting no, each other. No, I'm just, no, I'm just no. saying. This I'm just is, saying. Is, if you're just yeah, listening. It's I very just wanna, affectionate. It's affectionate. Absolutely. It's very and affectionate factor. Yes. But, yes. but it is not unlike what we did back in the day. Oh, we my gosh. Yeah. We, we, we had so much fun. I mean, this gives everyone an indication of how much fun we had. This is the tip of the iceberg of how much fun we had interacting with each other on the set, off camera, and sometimes even on camera. And here we are. We're doing yes. it again for the podcast. So there we go. Um, so he gives them two days. We cut to the mess hall. We've got a little B story scene here with Seven and Harry, mm. um, where Harry apologizes for overreacting with Seven, and Seven offers her isolinear chip for Harry to use to call his parents. She was there. She saw how much that meant to him. To call his and mom for Harry's, her birthday, right? Yeah, to call his mom for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry thinks about it for a minute, but he goes, no, I can't accept this. You, you know, you should contact, contact somebody from your own family. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, they were all assimilated. And Harry says, no, there's got to be somebody there. Yeah. And yeah. she thinks about her aunt, Irene mm-hmm. Hansen, mm-hmm. her father's sister. And I just thought it was a great move by Harry. 
because it did mean a lot to him to call his family. And that was yeah. a great offer she made, but he, yeah. he sees that she needs to, to experience mm-hmm. um, her own family somehow and, and use that chip and that time, that time to call. So mm-hmm. I like that scene. It was really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we jump in on the Astrometrics Lab, and now we have that actual call between Seven of Nine, Annika Hansen, and her aunt, her auntie, Irene. And we learn a little bit of backstory about how Annika was a very stubborn six-year-old, but uh, mm-hmm. auntie Irene was able to coax her out of her, her little temper tantrum with a strawberry tart. And Seven says, wow, I am very fond of strawberries. So we have a little bit of character development for Seven. It's a sweet little scene between her and her only, well, one of her only living relatives, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And and we learned that she was a perfectionist, even as a child. That yes. Her aunt says, oh, you didn't hesitate to point out if the strawberries weren't uh, perfectly ripe. So <laughs> we see that she's still, she's still very much seven to nine, even yeah. as a child. Right. But a, a sweet softness from Jerry. You really mm-hmm. see this humanity sort of connecting with her yeah. there at the end. It was mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Really sweet. Uh, we cut to back to Starfleet Communications, and the arbitrator has made a decision mm. that uh, that he's going to ask for all copies of the Hollow novel to be recalled. Mm-hmm. He argues that... Um, you know, this is not an easy decision. And the issue of holographic rights is not going away, which we've talked about. It's mm-hmm. AI. It's it's mm-hmm. definitely not going away. Um, but he does say that as a creator of this, this uh, art, that he has the right to... Uh, to do with it what he wants to do. So Yeah, so he's extending so he the legal, legal definition of artist to include the doctor. So he's yeah. not saying holograms, all holograms deserve rights now, but at least he's yeah, putting the doctor in that label of artist so that he has artist those rights, rights. But he won't, but he's, mm. but he makes it clear that he's not willing to, uh, to call him a person, to Correct. give him all the rights of yeah. personhood. Correct. Yeah. So it's yeah. a, it's a hollow victory. I believe that's the exact pun <laughs> yes. that the, the pun. doctor uses. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> he does. He does. A hollow victory. I love it. Um, and there's a nice scene to sort of wrap it up with Janeway and the doctor and Paris. Uh, the whole gang is there. And Janeway congratulates him on uh, kind of cracking the the beginnings of some rights for holograms here. And, mm-hmm. and Paris reminds him he needs to go revise his his book, which I think is the responsible thing to do, mm-hmm. Bob, you know, if you didn't have Paris there looking out for you, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Well, I think the book is not going to be published ever. Is that what you say <laughs> at the end to go revise the book? That's Yeah, not he published? says you've got well, a whole, well, but you can revise it and do with it what you want. Once you've done your revisions, then you can decide if you be published so i must have been i think at that point in the episode i'm just not listening to you anymore robbie so i just forgot that okay well (laughs) i i understand that i understand (laughs) i i understand especially because in this big wide shot tom is in the back row between (laughs) about seven other people trying Mm -hmm. to chime in on uh, and there's just too much there's just too much noise in the doctor's world there at that moment so (laughs) i just successfully blocked you out All right. In the same way that this, this Zoom call blocks yes. out your generator when it goes on outside. That's the way I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's well, the noise filter it's, of it's Zoom. It's kind of like the mm-hmm. is kind of like the Bob Picardo filter. Well, I mean, it, as a hologram, I can filter out all extraneous noise. And often that was Tom Paris. 
<laughs> okay. Well, it feels this scene let, feels like mm-hmm. the end to me. This scene feels like we've wrapped up not. a victory. Oh, but no. it's not. It is not. not. It's not. No. And for all of we you, have a tag. For all, yes, and for all of you Doctor fans, for all of you Robert Picardo fans, you get to see multiple. Robert Picardo. Right, because That's, one is never enough. One's not right? enough. No. If one Robert Picardo is great, then how great to have multiple. Well, how mm. many are in that shot? I'm going to say we, too many. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did I I think, at least I think 16. I think okay. we did another shot in, uh, I thought in How did you do that living shot? With, yeah. You're in the mines. It's, it's we, all, we're in the mines. We see you walk in. And then it reveals dozens of well, you. How well, did you one, one talks to the other. One EMH, one talks to the other, mm-hmm. talking, saying, hey, it's time for your diagnostic, yeah. right? And report to the hollow lab. And while you're there, ask the operator to run program 47 beta. And so that guy goes, okay. And he walks off around a corner. Then it picks up on another doctor, walk, another EMH mark one, walking around another corner, which then shows one hammering and another one dr- shoveling. So how was that mm-hmm. shot, Bob? How was that shot? Um, the camera was on some kind of a rig. Where it had a repeated movement, I, 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 it was some sort of a vertical rig, as I recall, but I'm not exactly sure because we did a trick shot like this also, it, as I recall, at the end of Lifeline. So in any case, the camera repeats the same movement, and I uh, simply move, you know, into different places in the repeated movement where we haven't seen uh, me before, mm-hmm. doing different things. Got it. And uh, what's great is the doctor as a character anyone who wa- you know knows my character from voyager he is about the least adept at manual labor that you could possibly imagine right he's he's far too you know he's just i, I wasn't going to say it bob but yes yeah. true so so it it always struck me as funny that they have him you know basically with a you know with a hammer or chisel or whatever doing manual labor when he is he is designed for just brilliant you know, medical, um, medical service and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and also, you know, just mouthing off about how brilliant he is. So (laughs) the, the, you know, the, 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 the distance that he's fallen off his pedestal there to, uh, to see him, you know, just as a, as a little functionary. Yeah. I thought is, uh, is, is a fun idea. So yes, it was a repeated camera movement. I move around, in different places and they simply merge together all of the, you know, all, all the shots. different shots as they do in, in motion control. And it, and it's, uh, but, but really if you, if uh, I, I could definitely say that seeing multiple Bob Picardos in the same scene is a thrill, even for, even for me. So I can only imagine what a thrill it's something, it must be. It's something, it's definitely yeah. a, a feeling. It is a feeling, Bob. It is a feeling. It's a um, I have a, I have another question, story question. Robbie, I just I just yeah. want to come just just we go in just just when Bob yeah. goes, even for me. <laughs> that, that was, I'm sorry, that got my funny bone, and I just mm-hmm. need a second. Just give me a second. No, just, but I mean, I can understand why I, it's a thrill for you, Garrett, <laughs> for you, Robbie, and certainly for a regular Voyager viewer. But it was a thrill for me as well. That's okay. even for you. That's even how for you. delightful. That's, yes. that's the sheer delight of multiple Picardos is something that I even I find irresistible. So how can I blame you? I, I have a question though, Bob. In the story, so these EMH Mark Ones are all miners. They've been mm-hmm. given this this menial job down in the caves and mines. But how are they projected to be able to do this? Do they have holog 
Oh, are there hollow emitters that are stuck in the mines? Hollow emitters? Is that what it is? Like, how are you there? Because they don't have mobile emitters. So how are there so many of you? I'm trying to undo this, Bob. You know, uh, I've never thought of you as a deep thinker. It's traumatic for me. You know, this is uh, the fact that you really examine this uh, carefully is both shocking and gratifying to me. But I think... I think it's exactly that. They it was cheap it was cheaper to put in hollow emitters in the mine and use all these, you know, deep deep uh classified okay. deprogrammed EMH Mark 1s. It was cheaper than actually, you know, hiring um organics to do the mining, you mm. know. So it's a way of, okay. it's a way of uh cost you know, cutting. Of, yeah. Cost sure. cutting yeah. and 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 basically uh, automizing your business. Wow. Is that right? Automizing right. Is that a word? Automating, automating, probably. Thank yeah. you. But, but I like automizing as well. But I think if you put optimizing and automating together, you get automizing. you get optimizing. Yeah, <laughs> you get automizing. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> optimizing and automating together is opta. <laughs> what do we say? Uh, automizing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Automizing. Well, to, to automize this I, entire episode into a theme. Yes. Mm-hmm. What is what is your lesson, Bob? Do you have a lesson? I'll, I'll ask Robbie first. Robbie, what is your lesson that you? Is there a okay. lesson that you learned from this episode? Yes. Like the underlying theme. What would you say? I think my takeaway for this episode, the the message would be, be careful when you tell a story about anything, real life or any story, because it's hard to capture the truth. And the way you tell the story is going to have an impact. So be careful. That's that's the lesson that I have from this. Okay. It's not really about... uh, holographic rights but it's about storytelling Hmm. storytelling is very powerful so be careful with that power when you use it Mm. what about you wield that power wield that power power with yes some sense of um i guess what are you trying to say responsibility responsibility yeah okay maybe um gosh i i my lesson was i guess more along the lines of friendship you know <laughs> and just like being there for your friends because that's what we ultimately did mm. for the doctor at the end you know it's just like you got to always uh, be a good friend everyone be a good friend so that's my little lesson i suppose uh yeah. robert picardo do you have a Boy, underlying lesson in this episode um well certainly don't mention to the executive producer you're writing a book because <laughs> good lesson. Know, suddenly they'll write an episode that where your character's writing a book um, yeah i i'm i'm quite taken robbie for all the teasing i do of yours i i uh i really like your um your summary of the episode because it it also kind of includes your point garrett that if you if you are careful in your storytelling and you happen to be basing a story on you know on people that you work with all day long and that you depend on each other and mm. work together care for each other then you do have to be careful because people, you know, whereas you may talk yourself into into believing that you're simply basing it on on real life, but changing enough so no one recognizes themselves, uh, uh, that ain't what happened. And the doctor did 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 hurt feelings of people he cared very much about um, because uh, because he got carried away with his own ego. As you know, that was one of his. Uh, one of his problems. So in, in a way, um, seven of nine's line during the show, you, your ego's had enough uh, stroking for uh, 
for one afternoon uh, mm -hmm. sort of applies to the whole episode that don't, <laughs> uh, never, never, uh, you know, um, it's, it's fine to have an artistic impulse and to want to create a story, but do re remember that in, in the telling of a story, you could hurt others. So mm -hmm. I think that mm -hmm. that is a, that is a, uh, that's a great lesson. So on top of that, I yeah. loved Voyager episodes where it seems to be about one thing and then the script takes a turn. That's my favorite yeah. thing yeah. about um, our, our show when they kind of fool you, they lull you in the first 30 minutes and go, oh, this is what the episode's about. And then it, and then it, uh, it takes a sharp turn. It's one of the reasons I love the episode Tuvix so much. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, and, and that's one of the great powers, I think, of science fiction storytelling in particular, yeah. that you can you can deal with a with a complex or bigger issue, even though it starts out on a much smaller scale, then suddenly it becomes a really Im Im important philosophical issue. And it yeah. kind of ca caught you off guard mm. um, as a viewer. I'm going to add in another lesson is just everything, everything in moderation, everything in moderation, because when you when you start becoming excessive, when it comes to ego or whatever it may be, then you're heading down a downward spiral. There you go. Mm -hmm. So that's my additional right. lesson. Okay. So, Bob, we mm -hmm. rate these episodes on a scale of one to 10. Garrett mm -hmm. and I give it a, a number ourselves. You can give it in for, in decimal. So it could be a 5.2. It could be a 9.6. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have here, I have not looked at it. We have our admiral and captains have uh, averaged out all of their ratings that they vote. And we see how close we are to the fans. So yeah. I will start out with my rating of this episode. I have to say, this is a great episode. It's one of my favorites. I'm so glad you joined us for this. Um, I am going to give this a 9.0. That's a, that's a pretty, that's high, a pretty score, high rating actually. for yeah. 9.0 for me, because it involved our entire crew, our, all of our cast, which is always important to me that we all have a little something to contribute. Mm -hmm. And I love that it had comedy and it had a deeper message and, mm -hmm. Um, okay. I, I loved it. So I like it. 9.0. That's one of Robbie's highest ratings of all the episodes we've rated. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to go 8.8 .8, and I go a little bit lower than you for one reason, one reason alone, because I felt like Harry Kim or Kimball should have been in that very first scene, uh, of the beginnings of the doctor. That's all. Oh, that would have been my a only better way critique, to, yeah. I think. Bob, I'm um, gonna give it's funny. I picked the number before you told me, and it happened to be 8.8. .8. Um, no, uh, I picked 8.8. Really? .8. I'm sorry. Wow. I think it's a, um, nice. I am proud of it. I think it's a very good episode. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, um, there are only 16 of me in the show, so there could have been more of me. So um, would have, you would have given it a higher rating if there had if been it, more. If, it, if there had been more, um, if there had been more of me, I think it could have earned a nine or a nine point two. Um, no, I I, uh, I am proud of it. It is one of my one of my favorites. Um, but uh, but I I think one of its flaws is that my character at that point, I told you, in his development, should not have been quite so oblivious to the feelings yeah. of his. Uh, fellow crew members. I thought in that respect, it felt more like a, a season three or four episode mm. than a season seven episode right. in, mm. in my character's personal development, yeah. but I'm only carping, you know, and, mm. uh, and I, and I'm, and I think it's good and it stands up. And I love the fact that 
that we got to talk about it now because this whole thing about artificial intelligence yeah. is everywhere. I mean, everybody's everyone is talking about it right now. So it's a particularly uh, uh, prescient uh, yeah. Voyager episode. Yeah. Mm. All right. Our All right. Captain and Admiral average rating for author author is. Yes. 8.1. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't know. I'm sorry. Come on, guys. Come really? on, guys. I can't believe that. But, I'm, Bob, I'm so that disappointed in your voted higher and, and some voted lower. That's all. all. Right. There's some in the nines right. and some in the in little lower. That's all. Right. All. I am I am huh. it's it's like a knife in my heart. Oh. But if if that's the way your captains and admirals feel about my hard work, then Wait, I, I, didn't, I must I didn't read the fine the I, fine print, the fine print on this average rating says if there had only been more of the doctor, <laughs> then this then rating this would, would be, be higher. <laughs> I didn't read that. Yes. They're on if, the same yeah. page as you. Oh, if yeah. you if you remove Tom Paris from this episode, I'd give it a 9.4. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says in the fine print. Oh my god. If no. he hadn't done those big faces and worn that horrible mustache, <laughs> this would have gotten a 10. All right. Um, well, Bob, thank you so yes. much for thank talking you. through mm -hmm. this episode with us. Mm -hmm. For our Patreon patrons, stick around. We're going to have a little bonus material for you guys. We're going to answer your questions. Yes. And join us next week when Robbie and I will be discussing the episode Friendship One. But I, for one, must say that it has been an amazing time having Bob Picardo here with us. And little did I know that I would be treated to such Robert on Robert banter that I got on. I mean, my goodness, this is this You're is welcome. a treat. You're welcome, this is a Garrett. treat. People don't Thank see you, this. They don't see this interaction. No, people don't. This is the stuff they, that we get they don't to see. see that when Bob is around me, yes. his sense of humor, his comic timing, all of it is so much stronger that oh. they can see the effect that I have that on him. You as Robbie McNeil right. has, yeah. Yes, yeah. and, yes, and also, yeah. Garrett, it lets you yeah. completely off the hook because, you know, Robert on Robert, you know, you got to you just get to officiate and kind of, you know, and and stand a referee. So, to yes, speak, I'm, us. And, I'm uh, happy doing that. I'm okay. fine. OK, yeah. cool. It was one time. It could be it could be someone gone after you. You know, you might have one of the other actors. <laughs> off, <laughs> That's true. They might, they might just go after you. That's true. I don't know who I don't know who it would be. Well, it already uh, did happen. It did happen. Oh. Because I talked about John Delancey and you mm -hmm. having a dough off, meaning a pizza bake off. Pizza thing. dough, yeah. And then he was like, that's a terrible idea. Because he kept thinking, my thought goes to having thousands of people in my backyard like that. And I don't want to. So anyway, I did get a little bit of uh, criticism from John Delancey already. But in terms of witty repartee or witty banter that normally happen on the Voyager set when the camera wasn't rolling, the fans never hear this. And so for you two to actually engage in it and without any prodding, like I didn't say anything to no, either of you two. It's just you natural. two just, just naturally went naturally. right into yeah. messing with each other, which was absolutely a gem. <laughs> this is a gem in, a, in, a, in, in, in the rough. It's a diamond in the rough. So thank you for that. All right. Thank you. Yes. And again, thank you for joining us right afterwards. So Patreon pages, please a, stay it tuned. It was a pleasure. Oh, yeah. And thank yeah. you guys for having me. And Robbie, just in closing, I have to say that when I yes. told Elizabeth uh, during uh, we took a little break, I told her that I yes. made that comment about in your scene with your beautiful lighting, how handsome you used to be. My own wife said to me, oh, you are 
awful. <laughs> so yes, she, did, she didn't like the fact it. that I was See? teasing you about your See? former beauty, and you're still beautiful, Robbie. Oh, you're thank still you. beautiful. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Bob. Thank you. That's my message. As you are. are you? As are mm-hmm. you? You're thank you're you. only better. You're more handsome thank and you. and more funny having and been on this podcast with me. Thank so, you. Let's talk about how handsome Garrett is too, especially now that he cut his hair. Remember when yes. he had that long hair? Now he looks yeah, so good. The, yes, he looks, he looks so I, handsome. Yes, much yeah. more refined and polished. Bob, and professional, sh- really. thank you. Have I shown you the video of when I walked into our Voyager men's dinner? It's you and McNeil sitting at the bar. <laughs> and I have my hair cut after 11 years of it being long. I have my camera on. And I, I'm like, hi, guys. And you turn around. You're like, oh, hey. Oh, hey. Like, look at the hair. Like, your reaction is priceless. I must Bob show has you always funny. liked you better with the shorter. I, I like you. He it loves the shorter hair. hair. It yeah. shows your, it makes much more handsome look for you, Garrett. Thank I'm glad you. you came around. Thank you, Robert Ricardo. I appreciate that. You're welcome. All right, everyone. We all love each other. And we love all of you fans just as much. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back with our bonus material.